Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. This is the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon, and I am joined this week by Dave Somerville. Good evening. Good evening to you, and by Jake McGee. Evening. Hello, gentlemen. Another week is in the books. Another week is done. Week 12, to be precise, in the NFL. Um, some good games this week, last week. Some really not so good games, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump straight into the review of week 12. We start, of course, with the Thanksgiving Thursday games, starting with the Green Bay Packers at the Detroit Lions. Uh, and this one... A bit of a shock to a lot of people, I'm guessing, because the Packers come away with a 29-22 win to go to 5-6 at Ford Field in front of 66,476 people and the Detroit Lions, the home faithful, must have been thinking, what is going on as Jared Goff coughs it up three more times, just like he did the week before. Dave, this was your game to talk about, so I'm going to hand it over to you. What mm. happened to the Lions? Oh my word! I mean, the story it started with the first play of the game. First, first play when Jordan Love dropped back and he just launched it to uh, Christian Watson for a fifty-three yard pass. Because uh, for so apparently the Lions are becoming a little bit predictable. Uh, is what the scouting was basically uh, saying to the Packers because the Lions tend to start the game on defense quite quite standard and when they got the look that they wanted they went long and it was a 53 yard completion and that set set them up basically because uh in the first quarter can you uh, can you believe what the score was because the packers were 20 points to six up at after one quarter we we don't uh, this year's packers as an offensive uh point scoring team really especially with jordan love and his kind of hot and cold year i would say so um but, you know, I mean, this week, Jordan Love pulled it out. He threw for two, three touchdowns. Obviously, Goff with his three fumbles, that career-high uh, well, game of, of fumbles for him, and every single one went to the Packers. So, uh, again, if you turn the ball over like that, you're, I wouldn't expect much return in the game. Um, when Goff could keep it for the Lions, he, he did very well. He threw for two touchdowns. But... Jordan Love appeared to be the star of the game, which is not something I don't think I'm ever going to say again in his career, which I, it's a bit um, a bit harsh, I would say. But um, when you lead your team out to 20, uh, 20 to 6 after the, uh, the first quarter, you expect the win there. Um, they kind of teamed off a little bit uh, through the rest of the game, but the Lions just couldn't properly get going. Um Aside from that, you know, the the run game, Packers struggled with A.J. Dillon as the main one. He racked up 43 yards. But then every time Jordan Love took off, you know, he managed to get something. He had a big 37-yarder uh, at one point in the game. Um, Lions were, were pretty good in the run game, but they just couldn't get it in for six when they really needed to. Um, when, well, when you look at uh, Riley Patterson, just didn't. He, 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 I think he, he attempted one extra point and missed. Uh, but I think there was four, uh, four times that the ball was turned over and downs, which is not something you see in every game. 
Uh, I think there was it was three by the Lions and one by the Packers. But uh, the Lions were on the back foot from the get-go, and I think that seems to be the key for the Packers the entire game, that they just put the Lions on the sword, for, you know, and so you stay there for the rest of the game. You've got to pick, get to us. And that was their game plan from play one. But Jordan Love, three TDs, uh, 22 or 30, a rating of 125.5. I think I think that is probably the best we've seen Jordan Love. Um, obviously, the Lions now move to eight and three. They're still top of the division, but they've got the Vikings and the Packers biting at their ankles a little bit. Um yeah, it's it's it, it was not something any of us predicted. We predicted a, a clean sweep, if I remember rightly, and definitely not uh, a seven point victory for the Green Bay Packers. No, and uh, Jake, I, I'll put it to you very quickly. Dave mentioned Jared Goff there. Now, I was talking to you on uh, on Tuesday, and we were talking about how this year he's looked pretty good. He's looked after the ball pretty well, but then last week against Chicago, three interceptions. This week against Green Bay, three fumbles, six turnovers in two games with Jared Goff. Mm. Do you think he's sort of reverting back to the Jared Goff that we've seen before, or do you think this is just a couple of games blip, no no need to hit the panic button? What do you reckon, Jake? I think it's a bit of both. I think he is very much a confidence player. And he's very much a player that if you give him time and he's not under any kind of duress, he, he can pick up our defense. And, you know, you can see the, the good that he can do even in this game. But anytime you can get a bit of pressure on him and, you know, a lot of noise is coming about. I mean, obviously, next week and going forward, you know, like I say, six turnovers in two games, there's going to be a lot of noise. That's where the cracks begin to show. And it kind of feels very similar to the 49ers, you know, they had a three-game skid, now on a three-game win streak. Well, it feels like Goff, he goes on, like, good streaks, bad streaks, good streaks, bad streak, and sadly, the Lions are kind of in the middle of a, of a bad streak here, and he's, he's going to have to get back on track and shut out the noise. Um, for the Packers, I had said last week, um, that the last couple of weeks, they've really been improving kind of each week, and although the Winnerfell clean sweep was a bit of a curse this week, um, <laughs> starting with this game. <laughs> um, but Jordan Love has uh, been improving each week. Uh, the Packers are, are racing for, for the playoffs in the very sorry NFC. And his young receivers are growing in confidence. And, you know, slowly but surely the Packers get in there. And they are a, a team to kind of watch out for uh, as they continue to kind of find their new identity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they've got to have one eye on the playoffs. But the Lions were only two games behind the, the Eagles. Um, they've they've got to keep get it back going, get winning again because they you know they really can't be uh, can't afford to go on a, a three four game skid if they start losing games if they want to be uh, making the playoffs. Um, but we're going to move on, gentlemen, to the NFC East battle between the Washington Commanders and the Dallas Cowboys at AT and T Stadium in front of ninety three thousand seven hundred eleven fans. And if there are three things in life that are certain, it's death taxes and the Dallas Cowboys beating up on really bad teams and if there's a fourth thing that's certain I'm sure Dave's going to tell us about it because the Dallas Cowboys absolutely crushed the commanders 45 to 10 they go to 8 and 3 commanders fall to 4 and 8 Dave commanders Cowboys there's another thing that appears to be certain certainly this year well certainly this year because every time Deron Bland catches the ball and picks it off he gets a pick six because he broke the record in this game uh, to 
get his fifth pick six of the year. A 63-yarder 63, uh, 63 return for the touchdown, and he did it in some style as well. Because uh, when he was running back, you know, he, might, he managed to dodge one or two tackles. But then three commanders, including Sam Hull, were trying to tackle him with about five to ten yards out, and they all appeared to tackle each other instead of him, which then he just kind of danced into the end zone. And I'm going to give a massive shout-out to the commentator as well, because as soon as he caught it, he shouted, History, if Bland can get it into the end zone. And it was, it, even Tony Romo had goosebumps, according to Tony Romo. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was an amazing uh, last fourth quarter um, because it was, the commanders were hanging on, I think is the best way to describe it, because they managed to shut out the Cowboys in the third quarter because uh, it was 20 points to 10 uh, going into halftime. And the, the Cowboys, they looked okay, but they hadn't really gotten out of second gear, maybe pushing on third gear at times. But uh, they hadn't really done much. But once that fourth quarter hits, the, the commanders just decombobulated. Discombobulated. I mean, it, it, this is going to be the word of the show. Uh, discombobulated, whatever you want to call it. But they absolutely annihilated themselves, basically, with some of the plays. Uh, Sam Howell was doing okay. Um, you know, he, he already rushed in for a touchdown. Uh, he was 28-44 for 300 yards, another 300-yard game uh, this week. But, uh, of course, he ended the game on a very sour note for him with that pick. But, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the Cowboys just basically said, right, we've, we've let you have your chance. Now it's our time. And they went from 20 points to 10, got into the fourth quarter and finished 45 points to 10. And I think... Uh, uh, the one thing that this game has led to calls for is um, to Dan, for Dan Quinn to get a head coaching position. Now we know that there's uh, this is a time of year where people's jobs are getting put into question, and obviously we've got a vacancy which we'll come up to later. Um, I think Dan Quinn should be in that conversation because within this game, I should also mention Dak Prescott. This is one of the best games he's ever had, and the Dave Ward competent. Because that's what that's what Dak was here. Twenty-two of thirty-two for three hundred thirty-one yards. Every time he threw to Brandon Cooks, it just seemed like he was he was going to score. It was just an amazing performance from him. Um, Jake Ferguson, I think, was the first one to catch, or if he wasn't the first one to catch, the first one to get the uh, first first down for the Cowboys, and he didn't see the ball for the entire time, which is a bit surprising to me. But in fairness, he didn't need to. The Cowboys weren't really out of control at all uh, in the game. Um, they didn't really give the commanders a chance. So, yeah, Cowboys go to 8-3. and three. Uh, One other record as well uh, comes with the game. Dallas extending their longest home winning streak in 42 years. They're now 13 wins on the bounce at home. That's, there you go. That's, that's pretty good. That's a good home, home field advantage. Yeah. Over in Jerry Jay World, World is Jerry World. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jake, did you watch this game? It, I, I still don't know if the if the Cowboys had a good team. I, I, it sounds ridiculous. They're 8-3. But, you know, they're beaten up on some really bad teams. But just what good teams are supposed to do, I suppose. But um, do you think this can be the fine finally? The Cowboys have enough pieces in place that they can make that run into the playoffs, get to a championship game. Or do you think that when all's said and done, they just maybe don't have what it takes to get over teams like Philadelphia, San Francisco, for example? 
Well, the great news is for them, they, they play a lot of bad teams. They're almost guaranteed at the current juncture to play the NFC South in the playoffs. So they're, mm-hmm. they're almost guaranteed a playoff um, win. Um, but they're very much kind of like the Dolphins <laughs> at the moment. They beat up on these these bad teams. But when they play you know, a similar team or a, a very good team, it kind of feels very, you know, very heckle or Jekyll and Hyde. And it will be the big test and it, it will get spoken about a lot. And that obviously adds pressure itself. I mean, Dak's playing lights out at the moment, releasing bombs, getting great protection. And on the other side with the commanders, they fired their defensive coordinator. They fired their DB coach. Um, they're trading away assets on the D line, which is not ideal. Um, they need to, get rid of the head coach immediately um, because Eric Bieniemy. we just saw about Dan Quinn um, yeah. being in line for mm-hmm. the commanders should absolutely pull the trigger now because if Eric Bieniemy gets an offer from a, a big team to be the head coach and the commanders end up losing out they're going to end up with egg on the face I mean I think even as of last year it was very much Eric Bieniemy is the head coach in waiting but he was like that at the Chiefs anyway um, so I think Rivera will be gone but I'm not sure I would wait till the end of the year if I was the commanders, because if you're making changes now, you might as well make it official before someone else comes in. And Dan Quinn, it didn't work for him head coach previously. I'm sure he will get another chance because this defense I mentioned last week, you know, we had last year Diggs playing amazing. This year we've got Bland playing amazing. You know, he's scheming that up. He's, he is a great defensive mind. Dak has been playing the best football of his career, and it's uh, no coincidence that it's down to you know the offensive coordinator in, in Schottenheimer there. There's a lot of talk about him getting a head coaching job. We look over at Washington, and we see that Sam Howell has played well despite some you know there's been a, a, he's had some bad games, but overall I think he's exceeded the expectations of a lot of people and what they think Howell can actually do. And I think it's a lot of that is because of Eric Bieniemy, and you see 100%. these offensive coordinators and and defensive coordinators. You know, as, as was rightly mentioned. Um, now, not all of them, we, as we've seen in the past, are suited to head coaching positions. We know this. We've mm-hmm. seen it time mm-hmm. and time again that a coordinator who's lauded and lauded comes up, gets a head coaching job, and everything falls to pieces. They go back to being a coordinator, and boom, that you know the champions again. We've seen it happen, but you've got to give these guys a chance. The enemy's got to get this chance in Washington. And I think on the other side, Schottenheimer's going to get a chance coming out of Dallas. I think by the end of this year, Schottenheimer will have head coaching, um, head coaching offers pouring in. Because we saw what the Dallas offense has been like over the past couple of years. It's been okay with Kellen Moore as the, as the coordinator they had in the past. Schottenheimer comes in. And Dak's playing better than ever before. We see this so many times with teams. You look at a quarterback who plays at a certain level, and then they change coordinator, and then it either drops or it goes up. That's because of the coordinator. It's because of the situations they're putting these players in. And it's it's almost like Dak and Sam Howell are in exactly the same position. They've got an offensive coordinator who's really bringing out the best in them because I don't think Sam Howell's that good a quarterback. I really don't. I think he's benefiting hugely from the the offensive coordinator that he's got. But you've got to give 
you've got to give Bienemy a chance as a head coach, surely. And um, we 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 all think that you know uh, Rivera's probably. I don't. I don't think he lasts a year. Jake, do you think he's going to last a year? Um, I think he is. I don't think he should, but I think he is because they should have moved on by now. Like say, they maybe should've. with with uh, Frank Reich being fired and Jack Del Rio, but you know, pieces are starting to to move. Um, they may be more inclined to to make the you know pull the trigger. Dave, quickly, do you think? Uh, Rivera will stick at the end of the year. Jake thinks he will. I don't. I'm not so sure. I I am actually in a hundred percent agreement with Jake. I think he will see the year. I mm-hmm. don't think he should. Um, the difference with Eric Bieniemy though is that when he was at Kansas City, he used to sign one year deals. It was it was like a Kirk Cousins style one year, one year, one year. Moving to Washington, they gave him a multi year deal to be offensive coordinator. So that was the difference. That that's why he left Kansas City was the multi year because I think Kansas were just it's a, Andy Reid is the play caller in Kansas City. So Eric Bieniemy is now the play caller in Washington, and he was given a multi year deal. So that seems to be what's kind of tempted him. Plus Ron Rivera, maybe there was something said that you know he was not looking to be there long term. So the enemy would be the natural step up. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with what, also what you're saying about Sam Howell. Sam Howell, is an av- I, to me, he's an average quarterback. But uh, the the sort of coaching from Eric enemy has really benefited him a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay, gentlemen, so we are going to move on. And we come to Lumen Field with the San Francisco 49ers trying to take on the Seattle Seahawks in front of 68,702 fans. Don't worry, Dave, because you don't need to talk about this <laughs> I game. D- yeah, I didn't have this all. game, yeah. You didn't have this game. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, the 49ers went in and it was absolutely business as usual they just crushed the seahawks 31 to 13 um this game was really never in doubt but it was basically over by halftime uh jake 49ers seahawks what were your thoughts yeah it's an interesting one it's four straight wins against the hawks uh they're very much in the driving seat of that division it's actually 10 straight wins against anyone in that division like you say it was very one-sided especially the first half they had 16 first downs to the Seahawks, 18 total plays. Um, Debo went in untouched at the backfield for an opening drive touchdown. The Seahawks had such a nice return from D. Eskridge that they went three and out and still got a field goal. That's how good of a return it was. Um, there was a bit of a punt-off. Both punters really impressed me, um, and their coverage teams as well, um, really making the offense earn their yards for both teams. Uh, the Seahawks, especially on defense, felt slow. They had very poor tackling. Uh, on the other hand, Ambry Thomas had another big play. But the best play on defense for me came from Witherspoon. Had a sensational pass breakup, flying backwards, hand out, got a touch on the ball away from the receiver. It was a superb um, play. But it was outshone by some of the worst tackling I've ever seen on um, McCaffrey's second touchdown run. It was, it was comical. Um, and it was 21-3. There was 1 minute 47 left. The Seahawks have a chance, you know, let's go into the half well. Well, they immediately muff a punt. The 49ers get a field goal. It's 24-3. The Seahawks, with 30, uh, 37 seconds left, put together a good drive, finally. And they miss a field goal. And there's handbags, and there's a fight. And you're just thinking, this was game over, go to bed. What a mess. Um, but the second half, 
sorted a lot better for them. They had uh, a good punt that backed the 49ers right up, and two plays later and a tipped pass. Um, there was a pick six. Uh, like I say, they had that good third, third quarter. There was a, a brilliant catch from Smith and Jigba. And all of a sudden, it was 24-13. The 49ers muff a punt, but they recover it. And that, to me, absolutely took the air out of the Seahawks. It just kind of shifted the momentum. Um, and then, kind of business as usual, 31-13. Uh, a quiet night for Ayuk, uh, but a huge throw and catch between him and Purdy. And the 49ers rushed for basically all night. They didn't need to blitz because they were all getting there. It wasn't wasn't one or two people getting there. They were they were all getting there. Um, Gino was sacked six times and was harassed all night. So there was an interesting third quarter. The Seahawks tried in one of the quarters, um, but it was a pretty dominant three-quarter display from the 49ers. Yeah, and the 49ers just roll on the... They really look like just a much better team in this game, as they've done in, in many of their games. Uh, Dave, I know you don't like talking about either of these teams, so don't worry. What gave you that idea? Don't worry. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm just going to get your opinion on, on just one thing. Um, Christian McCaffrey. Another two touchdowns for this guy. Another 100-yard rushing game. Throw in a couple of... And 25 receiving yards in there. He's playing absolutely lights out. Do you think, and I know you hate the 49ers, but do you think um, this might be one of the savviest trades that a team has made in years for a player? Because it certainly looks that way. The, the rewards they've got since they signed McCaffrey over, 25 games, 30 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, I, th- I think this is painful, but yes, it absolutely is. Uh, it, it's 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 got to be. I mean, obviously, now within the NFL, we don't put so much um, stock into running backs. I think the, the whole contract situation has proven that. Christian McCaffrey is, is to me, the best running back in the league. And to get him for the price that they did... It, it's, it makes me I can feel the vomit coming up to the back of my mouth um, but yeah it, it's I mean in this game he he had what 139 yards all purpose well r- rushing and receiving yards um, even by his standards that's, that can be considered a little low at times um, but you know you run out of descriptions for Christian McCaffrey he fits into this 49er scheme so well uh, that's it, it's yeah, but being be in the same division as them, it's just it's awful. I, I the only thing I can probably relate to you with is when you have to see Patrick Mahomes twice a year, uh, that you just like, oh no, here we go, not again. This is that's exactly the feeling I get when I see Christian McCaffrey uh, across from the blue and yellow every single every single year, twice a year. It's going to be now. So um, yeah, I think uh, he's all right. He's all right. He is all right, Jake, isn't he? He's, he's not <laughs> so bad. Nice. He only leads the league in rushing and in touchdowns. So, yeah, he's he's, he's all right. I'm, I'm happy. I don't have to see him twice a year anymore. That's very true. Yeah, yes, yeah, you're happy. Um, I, I, still, yeah, I, I still remember when he was coming out of the draft, and I was desperate for the Broncos to draft him. Absolutely desperate, and they didn't. And I was just 
I was gutted because obviously being the son of Ed McCaffrey, I wanted him to be a Bronco. And uh, in hindsight, he really should have been a Bronco. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to move on, gentlemen. We come to the Friday night game between the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium in front of 82,973 fans who watched the Miami Dolphins cruise to this one. Oh, my word. It was 34 to 18 to Miami. Um, Dave, this was your game. The Jets, Tim Boyle in a quarterback. It was awful. It was just awful mm. to watch. Uh, the, the Dolphins really should have scored another 20 or 30 points in this one. Um, but take it away. What did you see in this game? I mean, uh, it, it was a slow, slow start to the game. Very slow start to the game. Uh, the only thing that happened in the first quarter was a field goal for Miami. Um, they, just a little bit of incompetence uh, from both teams, uh, I'm afraid. But uh, the, the the whole game can be summed up at the end of the second quarter, right before halftime. Because um, earlier on in the second quarter, um, Tyreek Hill with, with a standard touchdown, you know, as usual. Uh, touchdown for Terry Kill, but then um, two was picked by Brandon Eccles, which uh, which is mm, something that he really needs to get out of his game because that was one of two picks that he had. What happened basically was that there was two seconds left in the half when two was then picked off again by DJ Reed. Now that had the ball, uh, I think probably maybe about the fifty around the halfway line. So there was only one thing that the Jets could do was to go for the Hail Mary. Uh, now, someone who you don't have the most confidence in to throw a Hail Mary pass will be Tim Boyle. I think it's a pretty close competition between Tim Boyle and Zach Wilson. But that is that is the choice that the New York Jets had. So he threw it up, and it looked like he was aiming for uh, Jevin Holland. Javon Holland, sorry. Uh, and... Uh, he just lined it up. He caught it. And then what happens? He returns it 99 yards for a pick six. And it was just how he just kept dodging and dodging the receiver trying to get back. The only man that could get him was Brees Hall. And he was very adequately blocked by what a, a man about 70, 80 pounds heavier than him. So I don't know. What else? He, uh, what else could it be? He could have done. He's the only one with speed. It was just pure speed at that point. Once he reached uh, about the thirty-four yard line, it was all about uh, speed. Um, running up to the end zone, he bit one, two, and three cuts against Tim Boyle, who just thought, "I wish I'd stayed at home. I wish I was never in this position whatsoever." And Holland returned it. Uh, and the only thing that I can say about that is that perfectly sums up the New York Jets this year. When they're trying to play serious, it's a comic act, and that's what they—that's what their offense has been this entire year. Um, the, the the Dolphins didn't start either half very well at all, but they just—they they didn't leave second gear. And like a twenty-one point difference, a twenty-one point gap, they didn't need to leave second gear. The Jets were just awful. Their defense didn't have the best game either. Uh, Raheem Mostert two TDs. Oh. It was just awful to watch. I'm afraid. Um, so you know that th- this is probably my bad game because it, it, even though there was there were scores, there was nothing exciting except from the absolute pure comedy at the end of the first half. So um, yeah, the Dolphs just romped away in the second half, and that is all you're getting from me. Two, I made two bad picks, uh, and the Jets just 
made the comedy play of the year uh, by a Hail Mary that was intercepted and then somehow returned for 99 yards. Yeah. Um, you don't see many Hail Mary pick sixes. I've never seen one before. Um, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a while. Jake, this, this Jets offense stinks. 159 total yards. Um, it, you know, Tim Boyle, you can, you can pin some of the blame on him, but they've been rotten all year. Um, do you think Salah keeps his job? We're talking about Rivera, but this Jets team is absolutely appalling. What do you reckon? You reckon Salah? I think, I think he will. I think Salah does stick around this year because they'll make all sorts of excuses for him, you know, with Rodgers getting injured and stuff like that. What do you think, Jake? I think it's going to be a bit murky because last year um, the defense was fantastic and then they got really fed up with Zach Wilson to the point where they were holding like players-only meetings and basically like begging everybody in New York to bench Zach Wilson before they eventually benched Zach Wilson to the point where they were wearing Mike F. and white shirts and openly being like, yeah, we hate our other quarterback. And then this year, obviously, they sell the soul for our Rodgers. They bring in Hackett. They bring in Tim Boyle. They bring in Lazard. They bring in Cobb. They bring in the whole crew. Um, Alan Lazard was a healthy scratch. You're paying him $11 million, I think it is, to not even suit up. Um, and then they stuck with Zach Wilson for so, so long. The defense the last couple of weeks has been really poor for the, by the Jets' standards, and it's because they're just fed up. And, and Salah is known for his defense, and he seemingly is a good defensive coach. But if you lose the, the locker room, they're not going to help you stick around. And the, the reverse Hail Mary is, is the most Jets thing to happen. Um, for the Dolphins, the only bad news was losing Jalen Phillips. Absolutely huge oh, yes, loss for them. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a huge loss for them, but has for Salah, he's playing with fire, and so is Joe Douglas, I feel like. I was a big fan of Joe Douglas, um, and then this summer, what they've done, they didn't bring in a backup quarterback, they kept Zach Wilson, they brought in, you know, the Green Bay Packers, we always joked, had no weapons, and they don't draft in the, you know, they don't draft a wide receiver, even though they've got no weapons, so the Jets go and take all the crappy weapons off them, and it made no sense. None of it made any sense. Well, we said it at the time when they got rid of Mike White. You're like, he's the one guy you should be keeping. He's the only quarterback on your squad who can throw a ball. Um, you know, he's been a good backup for you. So why are you getting rid of him? Why are you keeping Zach Wilson? That, that, that experiment has not worked. Can I also point out that uh, Tim Boyle's longest reception was for 13 yards. He had 27 completions. See... This is the other thing. Bringing in Tim Boyle, a man who in his career has four touchdowns, 11 interceptions. <laughs> and that's someone you bring in. Mm-hmm. And and it's not like, um, you know, oh, he's he's had a, a, just you know, a rough time in the NFL. In college, this is his college stats. Mm-hmm. 36 games, 334 out of 602, so 55.5% completion. In college, 3,371 yards, which is 5.6 average. In college, I can't stress this enough, 12 touchdowns, 26 interceptions. And college stats, you know, like, oh, you know, most yards in a season, they're way higher than the NFL stats. Players scoring 50 touchdowns a year, that happens in college. Tim Boyle is just not the answer. I don't know how they thought he was the answer or he was going to be an upgrade over Mike White. I don't know where they thought 
they were going with this. It annoys me that a team that had so much potential, we saw them last year, Brees Hall looked outstanding before his injury. Um, the uh, the receiver, uh, Garrett Wilson, uh-huh. looked incredible last year. We thought they've got a really good, strong, young team, and then they literally tore it to pieces from the inside. It annoys me when teams do that because there was no need for it. And we are going to look back come playoff time, possibly even the Super Bowl, not sure yet, We'll wait and see. And we're going to look back at the Philadelphia Eagles record and we're going to go, somebody beat them back in week uh, four or five, whatever it was. Who was that? It was the New York Jets. Yeah, how yeah. did that happen? Seriously, how you look at how that happened, you go, I, I don't know. I don't know how the New York Jets beat the Philadelphia Eagles. It makes no sense. Uh, but gentlemen, we're going to move on. And uh, we, co- well, no problem. <laughs> Thank we you for moving to- on. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're glad, Dave, because Jake's going to be reading at this one. Uh, with the New Orleans Saints, the Atlanta Falcons, and Mercedes-Benz Stadium in front of 70,166 fans. And the Falcons come away with the win, 24 to 15. They move up to 5 and 6. The Saints fall to 5 and 6. Jake, this was your game. What did you think? Oh, I saw many things. Um, <laughs> many, many things. The Saints have scored three touchdowns in their last 32 possessions. Those touchdowns were two from James Winston when uh, Carr was injured and one from Taysom Hill when Carr was on the sideline. Mr. Carr joins Philip Rivers as the only quarterback since at least 1991 to throw multiple pick sixes in six straight seasons. Um, the game started well for the Saints. Up three to nothing. Uh, big plays from Alave and Hill. Saints were in the red zone and upsteps Jesse Bates. He high stepped his way with his first turnover into the end zone for a pick six. This began the Saints' amazing red zone performance, going 0 for 5 in this game. Uh, our injured kicker, we're now actually testing out kickers because he went 5 of 5 whilst injured because he scored 100% of our points. Um, there was very few positives from a Saints perspective. Um, incredibly easy schedule, a healthy team. Now we've come off the bye and we're riddled with injuries, which is very concerning. Uh, we're run by a coach with a 20 and 44 overall record. Uh, this is his best ever start as a head coach, five and six. So that's, that's good for him. Um, I would like to shout out Honey Badger for his two picks. He single handedly was trying to keep it competitive. Uh, but Jesse Bates, not to be outshone, got his second turnover, forcing a fumble. Despite Desmond Ridder's best efforts, the Falcons' offense put together a good game. Um, the Saints' run defense is very porous. Uh, Bijan was 16 of 91 and a touchdown on the ground, 3 for 32 through the air. Uh, they finally found a way to use all three running backs, which we've all been kind of begging them to, to figure out. And of course, they figured it out against my Saints. Uh, they were 41 for 228 on the ground. And the Falcons at 5-6 and six sit atop the division. Uh, they do have to play the Saints again, sadly. Uh, at this point, uh, I'm going to say it, I'm actively rooting against the Saints. Uh, I'd rather have a better draft pick and the head coach fired. Derek Carr, forgotten about. Mickey Loomis can be fired because he's going on radio telling it, oh, we've got the right people in the building. We, we don't. 
they, this NFC South, they, all the teams suck. The only thing different is we're the only team paying a quarterback big money. The, the, you know, the Bucks suck, but they're not paying big that much. The Falcons suck, but they've got Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. You know, we suck on an easy schedule, and we're paying a quarterback. It's 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 mind blowing. So I am now a part time Texans fan, and I'm rooting against the Saints. Um. I feel your pain, Jake. I, I, I do. I feel your pain. Um, I know what it's like to watch a team just fail um, at almost every level of the game. This was the Matthew versus Bates game. That's what it was. Um, even the, you know, the, the normally super reliable Taysom Hill, he had a, he had a fumble, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. in this game as well. And just, it just everything went wrong. And it's not like it was one of those games where everything goes wrong. This has been happening almost all year for your Saints, and it's it's hard to watch. Uh, it really is. Um, Dave, did did you see this game? I I saw it in forty, um, uh, but it was painful as soon as they were much, there was any. <laughs> yeah, I I I was uh, very. Um, yeah, I felt really bad for the Saints fans here because it was every time they got into any kind of decent field position, they just could not get the job done. It, it was quite painful to watch. I mean, um, they just seemed to fail on third down. So, well, they get they kept getting to third down every time. I know you know you've got like kind of four downs to get the first down, but you want to get some first downs on first and second down. You don't want to get past that ten yard line, and they weren't doing that uh, very much because. Um, they, 14 t- uh, third downs they had in the game, the Saints, uh, and they managed to convert six of them. Uh, obviously, the uh, six of the ones they didn't get, they went for a field goal, uh, five or six. Like Jake was saying, the only person to score points was the kicker. But de- uh, defensively, they just could not stop the run. Uh, I mean, the, Fal- the Falcons were so uh, effective on the run, and they had to be because... Um, well, Desmond Ritter was at quarterback. I think that pretty much says it all. But, uh, you know, f- 15 rushing first downs for the Falcons in the game. That it's, I mean, it's setting yourself up to fail. But a combination of that and the red zone fails, something has to change in New Orleans. It just has to, or there's going to be no uh, no success whatsoever. They, they, Dennis Allen has to go. Um and I think they just they just need a complete rethink and approach to the entire game, I'm afraid. Well, speaking of coaches who have to go, uh, we then move on to the Carolina Panthers, the Tennessee Titans at Nissan Stadium in front of 62,493 fans. Um, I watched this game, and I wish I hadn't. Um, a bit like yourself, Jake, with, with your say, this, this was a terrible game to watch. It was awful. Um, the Panthers were hopeless, and the Titans weren't much better. Titans come away with a 17-10 win. Um, got to see a one-yard rush from Derrick Henry. Um, Panthers responded with an Eddie Pinheiro 50-yard field goal. Derrick Henry had a, Henry had a 10-yard rush. Uh, Nick Folk was, uh, had a 53-yard field goal. And then uh, Chuba Hubbard had a five-yard rush in the third quarter. That was it. This game was absolutely terrible. Bryce Young, 18 of 31, 194 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He was six, sacked four times. Uh, they couldn't get anything done on the ground. Um, and over in, in in Tennessee, Will Levis, 18 of 28 for 185. No touchdowns, no picks, sacked once. 
Um, and Derek Henry got 76 yards on the ground. That was basically it. That is the entire story of this game. And afterwards, Frank Reich gets fired. He's out. I don't know who they brought in as their interim head coach. Um, I believe they'd actually offered it to um, Ejiro Evero, I think. Was offered the uh, interim head coach. I think I think he might have turned that down. Um, so I don't know what's going on with these these Panthers. They just look horrendous. I, I was actually thinking, uh, maybe about a couple of weeks ago, uh, looking at the teams who are vying for that sort of first overall spot. You know, obviously Chicago are, are there with with that one uh, because of the Panthers. Um, but I thought, yo, you know, maybe you know Arizona. They've only got two wins. New England's got a couple of wins. And, I honestly can't see Carolina winning another game this year. They look rotten, absolutely rotten, and nothing is going their way. There was a couple of um, officials' decisions that didn't go their way either. We'll come back to that because, truth be told, this might have been one of the worst years for officiating, uh, weeks for officiating that I have mm. ever seen right across the board. So many games that was just bizarre phantom flags being thrown up. But we'll, we'll come to that later. The Panthers are terrible. The Titans don't look much better. Uh, Jake, I'll throw it over to you quickly. Do you think there's any hope at all for this Panthers team or do you think they're just resigned? Uh, because they don't, you know, their first pick belongs to Chicago. So it's not like, you know, they can just tank to get a really good pick. What what do they do in this situation? What do you reckon, Jake? And they fire the owner. Because that is the real question. Before um, David Tepper came in, they had had four coaches from 1995, 2017. Since they've had one, two, three, four, five, and now they're on to their sixth. If you want to count interim, they'll be on to their seventh once they actually find one. Um, they're paying huge sums of money to Matt Rule and now Frank Reich because they signed nice big contracts. Yeah. Um, they've had more head coaches in their tenure, like there, but they've had more, more than the Steelers have had since the moon landing. In fact, they've had <laughs> double the number. He, he bought the team like four or five years ago. It's it's just mental and rumours of him getting, you know, being very Jerry Jones-esque, trying to get very involved in it. This isn't, you know, this isn't like Madden. You, you can't just put your, you know, buy a team and be like, okay, this is what we should do. Uh, it's a, an absolute mess. Um, and like you say, they're not even tanking correctly because they don't have the pick. Mm. Uh, their second round wide receiver, um, Jonathan Mingo, I think it is, mm-hmm. doing the absolute opposite of a toe tap where he caught the ball and then threw himself off the field. It was the yeah, most yeah, that was bizarre. a funny one, yeah. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I don't know what was going through his head, but after a week of... Um, DJ Moore, who we'll cover later, having a good week. Uh, mm-hmm. Watching your wide receiver you picked to replace him doing that, it's just everything in Carolina is just a mess. But the Titans are undefeated in Nashville, so they, they keep their, their shriek at home going, and the Panthers are just in free fall. Um, they absolutely are in free fall. Dave, uh, let's talk about the Titans for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, they went for quite some time with um, Tannehill at quarterback and yep. it, it clearly wasn't working with Tanhill at quarterback because it was just mm-hmm. it was very it was a bland offense and if if they didn't have Derrick Henry they wouldn't have had any, anything Will Levis comes in now um and they had the the 
the other fellow whose name I've forgotten. See, this is this is how uh, bad Malik Willis, Malik Willis, M- Malik Willis. This is how bad the Titans' quarterback plays. When I can't even remember the name of their quarterbacks, um, Malik Willis didn't do any better. In comes Will Levis. He's just the same. He looks like um, Ryan Tannehill, but a bit Bunko. younger. He's yeah. playing the yeah, same exactly. way. It's just boring, terrible football to watch. Um, and yet, you look at, at the actual team with a 4-7. and seven. As Jake said, you know, they're winning at home all the time. It's great to be winning at home, but you're losing all your away games. That's that's no good whatsoever. Um, how long do you think Mike Vrabel's got? Do you think he might be on the hot seat as well? I, I think he is. Because... Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Sorry, carry on. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I think, was it last week that we said, or I, I, I mentioned Mike Vrabel is definitely uh, one to watch in the kind of coaching carousel. Um, I, I'd, I'd say not only Mike Vrabel, but offensive and defensive coordinator as well in Tennessee, because even though they only put up 10 points, or they only lost 10 points to the Panthers, it's the Panthers. So you can't take anything from that game on the defensive side. Um, offensively, yeah, I, I, I think uh, Tannehill and Levis especially um, are being made to look boring because of the coaching and because of the scheme that they have on offense. I, I do think it's the uh, the playbook, um, the, the coaching. and I don't know who the offense coordinator is, but uh, it, it's quite painful to see. Uh, I, I, especially, you've got wide receiver one is DeAndre Hopkins right now. Now, he's he's not someone that you can go to waste. Let, let's be honest here. He's, well, he, he's, I think he still is one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, you use that to your advantage. Uh, Will Levis targeted him five times in this game, and he was three for 49, which is it's a decent uh, return from the game. Um, I don't think Will Levis... I, I, I think he's been made to look average by the scheme that they have in Tennessee. I, I think he's actually got a, he's got a lot of potential as Will Levis. I think I said that a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I do quite like him. I like, I, I like When he's given time, uh, he can... Uh, make some big plays and I, I wish him the best I think Tannehill's uh, time is up I think the offense coordinator time is definitely up Vrabel's time is probably up um, so expect big change, changes in, in uh, Tennessee because 4-7 and seven, and uh, can I also point out they're 0-6 away from home this year so they just they can't seem to uh, leave Nashville uh, yeah I, I, I mean I don't Derek Henry Obviously, he got in for two touchdowns. Derrick Henry needs a certain kind of scheme and a good offensive line who, uh, to progress, as does Will Levis. I don't think Tennessee have much of an offensive line this year, which is why we're seeing such bomb average performances, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, they have not looked good at all. Um, uh, now, we come to Pecor Stadium with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers in front of 65,090 fans witnessed what must be, and Jake called this, uh, I'm going to say, Jake, what, three weeks ago? Was it about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago? The lack of effort from a certain player on the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he'd caught the, 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 well, it wasn't a touchdown, was it? Where he caught the ball five yards in the end zone and then essentially couldn't get a second foot down. Uh, in Jonte Johnson. And you look at this guy and think he... I, I don't think he wants to be out there. There was a fumble. 
in this game. Steelers, Kenny Pickett comes out, fumbles the ball, ball goes on the ground, and he stands there, walks past the ball, Bengals player picks it up, runs the other way. And he's just like, well, not, not even bo- not even bothering. It's it's so much worse than... When, do you remember when Cam Newton was criticised for not diving on the ball in the Super Bowl? But he mm-hmm. kind of went for it and, and, and didn't because, you know, Von Miller was flying in or, or whoever, I've, DeMarcus Witt was flying in and he kind of jumped out of the way. This, this play, he, it didn't even register. He just walked, he just looks at the ball on the ground and just walks away. Doesn't try to block anyone, doesn't try to tackle anyone, doesn't try to get the ball. And the Bengals take the ball and go, and go down the field. Ultimately, it didn't matter because the Steelers won this game 16-10. They won it 16-10. Uh, a couple of stats. Kenny Pickett, 24-33, 278 yards. No picks, no touchdowns. Uh, sacked twice. Uh, Najee Harris actually had a good game for a change. Uh, 15 rushes, 99 yards and a touchdown. Pat Fryermuth. Friar Muth, I think that's how they're, they're pronouncing it, the, the, the tight end. Nine catches for 120 yards. He appears to be the only person doing anything. Um, George Pickens uh, had a, a quieter game by his own standards, three for 58. On the other side, Jake Browning didn't really have a chance. 19 to 26, 227 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But he played pretty well. But Joe Mixon went eight for 16 yards on the ground. Jake Browning went three for nine on the ground, and that was the Bengals' rushing attack. That was it. Not not a single carry by another running back. When you've got a rookie quarterback in there, uh, your backup quarterback in there, I should say, against the Steelers, you need to give him a little bit of help. Total on the ground for Cincinnati. 11 carries, 25 yards against the Steelers. You are not going to win games that way. Uh, And they didn't. The Steelers won. They go to 7-4. The Bengals dropped to 5-6. And And the Steelers, of course, now uh, have that uh, game over the Bengals. Jake, I'm going to put this over to you. Um, The Steelers are winning. We know they're going to finish above 500. we have said it all year. We've laughed and joked about it. They're not going to have a losing season. They never do, as long as Mike Tomlin is there. What is it going to take for them to get rid of Deontay Johnson? What do you think? This man has to go. Yeah, I don't know how you can sell anything to your team because they're all going to be watching the the, the plays. And it wasn't just a fumble. Multiple times on run blocking, he just stood there. He, like you say, he just didn't want to be there. It was absolutely disgraceful. Uh, I don't know what is going on because you think this was the first time in 58 games they've gone over 400 yards, which is not a coincidence. That's the, the first game after they fired Matt Carinder yes. and he was in charge for 58 <laughs> games. So they got rid of their terrible offensive coordinator and all of a sudden, boom, get a few things going. You would think everybody on the offense would be happy. And the man just looks. Like you say, it doesn't want to be there, and it's just bizarre. And I don't know after the fir- after the fumble, I would have benched him, but continuously, every time that you pan to him, he just no effort. Mm. Um, you you were basically playing with ten on on offense. I don't know why you persisted with him, kind of thing. Uh, to me, uh, that's also on the coaches. They should have just pulled him and said, "Look, if you don't want to be here, we can go home." Yeah. You know, I, I'd rather have 
a five foot eight white guy that's going to try, then you know a superstar wide receiver is not going to be bothered. Um, and then for the Bengals, they're winless against the AFC North. They're zero and four. They're one and six in the conference. Their season's pretty much done for. It was the second that Joe Burrow went down. And just remind me not to meet TJ Watt. He doesn't seem to like Jake's. He was running that brown in like he owed him some money. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did. Uh, it was just, like Jake Brown had no chance. He had no chance in this game. Uh, nope. But Dave, I'll put it to you now. You know, we've talked about the Steelers there and Deontay Johnson must go. I think it's just this thing that Pittsburgh have. You know, where they don't fire coaches. Um, I mean, Mark Canada, what did you see, Jake? 50, how many games? Uh, well, he was in charge for 58 games. So for the first time in 59 games, the Steelers went over 400 yards. So for 58 games. Now, keep in mind that up until recently, there was only 16 games in a season. 17 now. If your team can't get over 400 yards of offense once in, I'm going to say one year, if you go an entire season and you can't get 400 yards of offense, see if I'm the, the general manager or I'm the head coach, I'm like, you are out of here. You can't even, not even against a bad team, you can't get 400 yards of offense. And I don't believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers played, you know, 58 really good defenses in a row. I, I don't think that's the case. So they didn't find my Canada until this week. And then as Jake already said, he goes, <laughs> they go over 400 yards. Um, they don't fire the coaches. Maybe they don't get rid of wide receivers who don't want to play for them. I don't know. It took them a while to get rid of Chase Claypool. So I, I really mm. don't know what's going on there. But let's let's look at these Bengals now, Dave. Um, because you look at their their season, they're five and six. You can't see them winning many games with with Browning a quarterback. Um, do you think they're just doing their best to just ride this out? essentially not not so much right off the season but next year they've got some big contracts coming up they're gonna have mm -hmm. to pay some players they were really i think really banking on this year being a big year for them um because they've got all these contracts coming up next year what do you think the bengals are going to try and do for the rest of the rest of the season well uh, judging by this game uh, not run the ball um, because not only did they not run the ball, uh, but they didn't get one first in from running the ball, uh, which you just can't do whatsoever. I, if you're just kind of going to um, telegraph every single play and they know what they're going to get, um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised it was only one pick um, that this young quarterback uh, got so uh, it's and let, let's be honest, it's not it's not his fault. He's in this situation whatsoever. Um, I I think there should be some questions asked, uh, even in the lead up to this game, though, because we 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 know Joe Barr wasn't at one hundred percent for the majority of the season. Uh, he was carrying kind of niggling injuries and whatnot. But um, it's not very often that a team going up against Pittsburgh records about half the total yardage on offense of the Steelers. Um, I you know you can put that down to a mixture of no Matt Canada and. Matt Canada's double been on the Cincinnati side, so um, yeah, it's uh, the, for the Bengals. Bengals. Well, we, we said it well, one or two weeks ago. Well, as soon as Burrow went down, the Bengals are done this year. Um, it, uh, unfortunately for them, they were turning into a kind of one-man offense. Well, well, two with uh, Jamar Chase. They didn't use Joe Mixon, um, which uh, and I think when they did, it seemed like it was the only time Jake Browning was under center. You know, that that they were kind of telegraphing that he was going to run the ball. So, um, 
yeah, Bengals are done. Um, Steelers, I don't even know what to make of them. I mean, I don't think anyone knows what to make of them because I don't think they're going to win. Um, they're not going to win the AFC uh, with the Ravens there. Uh, very good chance of a playoff. Same with um, uh, Cleveland, who are also in there. Uh, but I still don't know what to make of the Steelers. We're into week 12. I don't know what to make of them. And you know, it, it could go really well. It could go maybe not so well with Matt Canner being there. Early signs are good. But uh, yeah. I think we're about to find out. I think it's it's. I think the game's going to be more exciting anyway in Pittsburgh, especially on offense. Well, it couldn't have got much worse, that's for sure. Um, so we're going to move on, gentlemen, and we come to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts at the Lucas Oil Stadium in front of sixty four thousand four hundred and seven fans, and this game was really entertaining to watch. Uh, really, really entertaining to watch, actually. Um, the Colts ended up winning this one 27-20. It started with a Chase McLaughlin 21-yard field goal to put the box up 3 to nothing. Mackey then responded with a 46-yard field goal. Jonathan Taylor then had a, the first of his two touchdown rushes. Um, Gardner Minshew also rushed in touchdown before Mike Evans caught a one-yard pass from Bacon Mayfield to make it 17-10. to um, Mackey responded with another field goal. Mike Evans caught a second touchdown pass from Mayfield, 20-7. to and then Jonathan Taylor, as I say, with a second touchdown, and Chase McLaughlin with a 24-yard field goal with 4.10 to go in the game. But that was it. The Buccaneers could not get into the end zone again, um, despite a couple of opportunities to do so. Colts come away with a 27-20 win. Last week, I asked you guys if you thought, oh, well, Dave, I think I asked you specifically, if you thought Gardner Minshew had done enough to keep the starting job even if Richardson comes back and is healthy, fully healthy, 100%. Jake, I'm going to put the same question to you now because Minshew in this game, it, it, it was almost like vintage Minshew. You look at the stats, not not great uh, percentage completion, 24 to 41, 251 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. Um, so you look at that and say, well, that's not great. He did have the Russian touchdown, but he did make some fantastic plays in this game. So, Jake... Indianapolis Colts, do they stick with Minshew if Richardson is able to come back? What do you reckon? Or do you think it's more a case of, no, we've got Richardson, he's going to be in when he's fully healthy? What do you reckon? Yeah, it's not not even a question to me. I think Richardson comes back. This is his team. Minshew and Baker on the same field, is, it's like looking at two of the very similar players. I think mm. Minshew is a mm. really top-tier backup, You know, a, a good emergency quarterback if you need him. Um, but Anthony Richardson completely gives you a different um, style of play. He is kind of, you know, hopefully going to be the, the face of your franchise and was very exciting from what little we got to see. Um, the only bad news really for the Colts was Jonathan Taylor. They've kind of been easing him back in, getting back to form, and now he's out two to three weeks with a thumb injury. So mm. Zach Moss, it is time to step uh, back up again. But yeah, they, they seem to be taking it easy with Jonathan Taylor and easing him back in which seemingly was working well until it didn't. Um, so that, that was a bit of a sour one, especially after giving him so much money, um, sorting out any issues they had for him to get injured so soon. So it's only going to be two to three weeks, but uh, not ideal. No, not ideal at all. Uh, Dave, over on the other side, Tampa Bay, Baker Mayfield, 20 of 30, 199 yards, two touchdowns, a one pick. He was sacked six times. It was relentless, this Colts pass. Uh, pass rush. Um, Mike Evans, again, another 
Grady for him, six catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. Rashad White goes for 15 uh, for 100 on the ground. The Bucks played well in this game, up to a point. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, they, they just couldn't get the ball moved. Um, and, and the Colts' defense, as I say, was all over Mayfield. But he's really developed a connection with Mike Evans, like every quarterback has in Tampa Bay. I think really highlighting just how much of a talent Mike Evans actually is. Um, what do you think of this Buccaneers team? They are 4-7. and seven. Jake last week said they might be the best team in the division, the, the NFC South. From what I saw on this one, I know they lost the game, but they did play well. Are they the best team in the NFC South? What do you think? Um, it, it's I mean it's a very it's a very close one, uh, but maybe not in the most positive sense uh, with that division. You know what? They they still have some very good players. They just seem to not quite be clicking all the time. A little bit more consistency would help them out a lot and could turn games like this into wins. Um, because I think I I don't think they well they didn't start off very well. I think Baker got injured very early on. Uh, he came out for one or two plays, um, and Ka- we we saw Cal Trask for the first time in a while. So he came into it, but um, yeah, but Baker did well. Ba- Baker's doing okay, and when he, like I said, I think I, it was last week. I said he's still got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on either side. So that that's a, that's these are pretty good players that you want on either side. Um, I I think in in this game though, they just couldn't seem to stop the run. Whether it was Jonathan Taylor or Zach Moss, they couldn't. They just couldn't stop the run. I'm afraid. Um, they, they Minshew. Ha- I think they did well in the past defense because they were forcing Minshew into making some great plays. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad coverage. Um, I mean, Minshew's rating in the game was 66.2, which is not something to write home about by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, I think it was uh, Tampa Bay that made him look kind of average at times, and then when he did. When he was forced into the big plays, that was the difference in this entire game. Uh, so they've got a lot to work with in Tampa Bay, especially considering uh, that... I think, did they win the last two years in their division, I think? Is that right, Jake? I'm not sure, Jake. Quite possibly. I mean, the, the Panthers are 1-10 and ten and are still in playoff contention, so, you know... <laughs> Oh, that that's, that's do, one do of those know, depressing you know, stats. You know, the, the, the worrying thing is, right, and... It it it's sad because it's true. Technically speaking, the Panthers could win this division. And they're one they, and ten. They could. They're one and ten. If they win out and go seven and ten, that they could win the division. I don't think it will, um, but it's a possibility, and that's that's not something you want to hear. So uh, sorry, Jake, to be bringing up your, your your NFC South again. Here's a bit of good news for you, Jake. We're going to move on. We've come to the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans, NRG Stadium. Well, it, it's, it's a team that you you like to watch and they're fun to watch. And you know, it's not that, like you hate the Jags, is it? Um, that is battle has been scraped. Seventy-one thousand been scraped and scraped. <laughs> Seventy-one thousand three hundred twenty-four people. Watch the Texans come in, and do you know what, Jake? I'm just going to let you talk about this, because this was a great game from a neutral point of view. We all picked, all three of us picked the Texans to win this game. Patrick was raging with us. He was like, what What are you doing? Picking against my Jags. Jake, tell us the story of this game. I'm not even going to mention the score. Jaguars, Texans, go for it. Well, I will say, 
I'm the resident Texans guy here, so I will go first. I picked them. I didn't expect us to have a, a clean sweep. Um, but Patrick was the one that got the last laugh. It was a huge win for the, the Jaguars. Uh, they are now 8-3, and three, uh, very much in control of the AFC South. Um, it was a big week for Josh Allens. Not a good week for the officials, like we've already mentioned. This game especially was just a car crash. The only positive note was they screwed both teams over. Um, Allen had two and a half sacks. He's now second all-time for the Jaguars. Uh, there was a nice 12-play first drive by the Jags, um, resulting in Brandon McManus's 17th straight field goal. He would get to 19, um, but later on would miss number 20. Uh, the Texans had a huge 56-yard bomb to Tank Dell, called back for a bogus uh, shifting penalty that against was, Dell. Yeah, it that was, was a terrible call. And not even the worst call in this game. No. Nope. Um, Travis Etienne couldn't get much going. Uh, it wasn't for the lack of trying. 20 rushes for 56. Uh, and it went 4 for 30 in the air. I like what I saw from smaller parts of the Jaguars' offense. Luke Farrell, um, he impressed me. And I was again impressed by Dionis Johnson, who seems to be firmly uh, running back number two for the Jaguars. Uh, the Texans got a huge stop to end the half. Uh, only 13-7 to seven down. Um Maybe an interesting decision to, to go for it um, instead of kicking the field goal. I don't really hate it, um, but it was a big, big stop. Um, Amendola, the Texans kicker, missed from 50. Um, and then the worst call probably of this year. Uh, absolutely egregious no call uh, on pass interference by a defender. Ended up resulting in a, a Derek Stingley uh, Jr. interception, which never should have stood um, just it was basically mo- it was very much like the Rams Saints. He was basically mugged, and uh, the referee it wasn't even on the sideline. At least the Saints one was on the sideline. It was in the middle of the field, uh, and somehow wasn't called. Uh, it set the Texans up very nicely. Uh, a lovely play fake on Stroud's um, rush TD, and all of a sudden, it was a very close game. I would say uh, Calvin Ridley's ability to find himself wide open uh, was. Ridiculous. He went 5 for 89 and had my new favourite thing. We, we like Scorigami here. My new favourite thing is called Octopus. It's where the offensive player scores the touchdown and converts the two point. Um, so he did that. He caught the touchdown and the two points. There was one very questionable decision I saw from the Texans. They threw it very deep on a fourth and one on your own 46. Uh, what the Jaguars did well on fourth downs is they played to the to the marker. Uh, the Texans decided we weren't going to do that. It wasn't the smartest decision I've ever seen. Um, but McManus missed from 55. And a quick drive resulting in a Nico Collins touchdown had it close. But ultimately the Texans came up just short. And I mean that literally because Amendola then hit the crossbar from 58. Uh, it was that close of a game. It was a great game if as long as you didn't care about officiating yeah so i know you said that was the most egregious call of the year but bills fans and broncos fans and possibly even bears fans might disagree with you because this week mm-hmm. the officiating i suppose yeah, was I suppose it, norm, normally a normal year it would be oh no, absolutely any last year that would have been the worst call of last year it was i don't think it was even the worst call of this week it was it, but it was it was a horrendous call there was more than one as you already mentioned too there some of the officiating in this game was just bizarre to the point where you know a lot of people were saying on twitter 
what's going on with the refs? Because even, uh, you know, like guys like Dean Blandino and uh, Gene Steratore and those guys, they're going, yeah, I've got no idea what he was looking at there. I don't know why that was called. I don't know why this was called. I don't know why that wasn't called. And the, 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 um, the pass interference one was just bizarre. It was utterly, utterly bizarre. And I must have seen that about 20 times and I'm still going, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the, the refs have to explain themselves to the NFL after games for certain calls. I think they do. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if there's any um, comeback on some of these calls from this week because it was horrendous. Uh, Dave, we didn't have any vested interest in this game other than the fact that Patrick was you know, raging with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jake's obviously a, a semi-Texans fan. Um, what did you think of it? It was it was good fun. It was a very good game to watch. Uh, it, it pretty much had everything. And yeah, but it, I think when a game like that happens and what we're talking about is the refs, that's when you then have to go, okay, this this is not good. Something, something needs to change on that. Um, I, I, I don't know how you how you uh, approach that because there's a few different ways but nothing that anyone can really agree on uh because if, you know if you have reviews or challenges for penalty decisions um well i mean we've seen in our football on this side that uh var when you can go back and look at decisions in big games it not only takes a sting out of the game but you know, it, it can it can ruin the game, and it can change the look the look on it. So if you if just say for example, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, so if you're running at someone um, at at full pace, and maybe their instinct is just to put up their arm, but almost in a, in a manner that from one angle makes it look like you're putting your elbow out, but you're just kind of putting your forearm out to stop him. That uh, from an from one angle, it could look like you're trying to elbow the man in the face. When you slow the plays down, it can look very. It can look. It can give a completely different outlook, uh, which is why a lot of people aren't in favour of it. But uh, you, they, they've something's got to change because not only is it is it this week. This week was just the kind of uh, the the worst that we've seen. Every week we talk about this. Every single week, a game is ruined or affected by bad calls. So, what what do we do? Well, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do. But the thing is, they, they, they spoke about this before, about reviewing pass interference calls because mm. they're such huge game changers. And, they, and they're massive game changers, pass interference calls. Especially you know, spots, because they're spot fouls more than anything else, fouls. especially. Yeah. You should be able to review these. But the, the reality is that some of these calls that are just, you're thinking you're a holding penalty, well, he didn't hold them. That, that you should, it takes... And this is the thing, because they're talking about they don't want to stop the game and slow the game down any more than it already is. Just ditch one of your uh, commercial timeout. One in the game. Remove one 30-second commercial timeout from the game to give you 10 seconds to look at three calls. Because or some two, of those... Or, or two challenges or something. You, you should be allowed to challenge these calls because some of them are killing teams. And you're thinking, we, we might lose this game because of bad calls i'll come back to that later um i'll tell you what though in our next game we could really have used some uh, dodgy calls just to give us something to talk about dave prepare yourself for the shortest game review uh, probably ever new england patriots 
New York Giants. MetLife Stadium, 82,211 fans. Giants won at 10-7. Jake, it's all yours. This was awful. It was. Uh, the vicious cycle of starting Mac Jones and Benjamin continues. Uh, the one real positive from this was the game in 40 was actually game in 34. There was that <laughs> little in this game. Um, the Giants had a... Uh, yeah, the, the highlights. You know, if you, you know, uh, on YouTube, you've got the NFL's highlights. The mm-hmm. highlights were uh, less than 10 minutes, which is never good. But they included, please, like a run for four yards on first down. Uh, yep. You're like, oh, that's a highlight. So, so sorry, Jake. Can't, I, I'm, I don't mean to be stretching this out any further than we have to. <laughs> no, we're, we're giving the patrons and giants some time but we just won't actually talk about the game uh the, the giants had a, a fumble on a fly sweep that ended a, a, a promising opening drive the patriots then avoided a fumble thanks to a delay of game which was uh rather fortunate uh devito found his groove uh found jalen hyatt early a few times but jabril peppers who recovered the fumble then had a nice sack as well uh, we had Matt Jones' first interception uh, after a good play by Deontay Banks. Later, he would have his second interception um, to o- Okereke. I always got to say Okereke, but it's Okereke. Um, he was pressured by Simmons and just threw it. Instead of taking the sack, just threw it to uh, the Giants' defender, which was uh, an interesting decision. The Giants eventually decided to cash in on offense. They had a 12-yard pass to Isaiah Hodgins. Um, to start the second half, to really sum up the game, the Giants kicked it out of bounds. So the mm-hmm. Patriots got to start at their 40. Um, Bailey Zappi comes in, leads an 11-play, 60-yard touchdown drive, and you're thinking, okay, we might have a game. But nope, he had an interception late uh, by Javier, uh, Javier, Xavier, Xavier McKinney. Um, it's just, it was a mess. The Giants turned that into three. It was 10-7. Um, and then they had a, a positive final drive just for their fourth round rookie kicker to miss from 35, which some of the skeptics out there are saying maybe he was told, we'll keep you, you'll guarantee your job if you miss this, uh, because it was a very, very dubious miss. It wasn't even close. Um, so the Patriots are in a really good position for a uh, draft pick. It, this was basically a tank bowl. Um, if anything, the Patriots probably won because they have a better pick. Um, and for me, you know, we all love Bill Belichick. I think the Patriots really will benefit from just a clean slate, a clean um, kind of restart, a refresh for the franchise. They can get their new quarterback and they can just go from there because at the moment it's just a very, very sorry cycle. Uh, it, it's absolutely horrendous. This New England team is on offense is just awful to watch. Absolutely awful. Uh, uh, Dave, <laughs> this, this New England team's rubbish. Uh, this Giants team isn't much better. Do you have anything to add before we move on? Not really. <laughs> it's it just well, well, yeah. I, I mean, uh, one 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 of the two. You took my only point from this game is that when I went to watch it in forty, it was it was thirty or barely thirty <laughs> minutes, and it was it was just it's the amount of time in between plays that they actually showed in the. 40 highlights was just embarrassing so um i i don't i i don't want to talk about it i think we we will all benefit from not talking about this i'm afraid yeah yeah let's move on gentlemen um and we come to oh we come to mile high stadium where the cleveland browns came in to play the denver broncos 
the mighty on fire Denver Broncos who had won four in a row, the longest winning streak in the league, tied to the Philadelphia Eagles, just to point that out, in front of 76,261 fans. And wouldn't you know, the Denver Broncos come away with a win, 29-12 against the Cleveland Browns. Now, uh, so Magic Pirine opened the scoring with a seven yard, with a three-yard touchdown rush to make it 7 nothing. Russell Wilson had a two-yard touchdown rush. Prior to this game, the Broncos had one rushing touchdown all year. Got two in the first quarter of this game. It was fantastic. Dustin Hopkins then had two field goals for the Browns. It was 14 to 6. And then Harrison Bryant got a two yard pass from Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, but the two point conversion fails was 14 12. Will Lutz knocks in a 23 yard field goal, 17 12. Adam Troutman catches a fantastic, I mean, well, the catch was incredible, but it was a great uh, throw also from Russell Wilson to make it 24 12. Will Lutz bangs a 34 yard field goal, 27 12. And then with 2.19 to go in the game, PJ Walker, who came in for the injured Dorian Thompson Robinson, was sacked in the end zone for a safety giving a score of 29-12. to 12. Now, that's all the scoring out of the way. But here's the thing. Two points. Two points I want to make about this game. First of all, do you remember last week when I said the Broncos, if they make the playoffs, should put up a statue of Cortland Sutton outside the stadium? Uh-huh. That still holds true. Uh-huh. It does. Cortland Sutton is an absolute baller he's playing as well as any wide receiver in the nfl you could argue tyreek's having a better year i get that but he's playing absolutely incredibly well <laughs> right what, what is that jake you could argue it i mean yeah, i don't think it's argue. much of an argument he leads the nfl in well, red zone touch- I, well he leads the nfl in red zone touchdowns there you go Cortland sutton because tyreek hill league. scores him from 80 yards away well it doesn't matter if you score from 80 or one it's still worth six points you see? Exactly. It doesn't matter that he leads the league in it because that's not Tyreek's fault. You never know. <laughs> anyway, stop stealing my thunder. <laughs> stop stealing my thunder. There's a horse called Thunder in Denver, you know. Anyway, that's, here's the thing. Gordon has done another great game with a really important catches, third down, um, and he, he, was, he was fantastic. Now, here's the other thing. The officiating. Because if I don't talk about this, I'm going to burst. And I apologize in advance. Javonta Williams rips off a 30-yard run and it's called back for a hold on Cortland Sutton. And then you show the replay and there's no hold. <laughs> and you're going, well, I mean, that, that's called a block. At no point did he even like have a hold of a jersey or anything. He just blocked someone, called for holding, calls it back. Cortland Sutton makes an insane sideline catch. It's 35 yards down the field, nearly 40 yards down the field. Insane sideline catch. Gets his second foot in Dragon. Likes a touchdown he scored two weeks ago against Buffalo. It was unbelievable. And he gets called for OPI, offensive pass interference. And I was like, ah, that sucks. And then I saw the replay and went, how do you call that offensive pass interference? There was nothing. No, literally the defender puts out his hand, Sutton puts out his hand, and their hands touch. That's it, and it's called offensive pass interference. And I'm going, ah, oh, hold the boat now. What's going on here? PJ Locke, on a fourth down play, gets called for unnecessary roughness, for targeting a player. Um, I 
think it was in Joku, I cannot remember, I think it was. Um, he didn't launch, didn't use his helmet. He hits a guy who, the ball hit him in the hands. He hits him. It's called um, Unnecessary Roughness. Keeps alive a Browns touchdown drive. Um, Bannon Browning then gets called for Unnecessary Roughness, roughing the passer uh, where he hits uh, DTR on, I think, the one-yard line, maybe the goal line, on another fourth down play. Gives the Browns an automatic fourth down. And it wasn't roughing the passer. Yeah, he hits him hard, but it's a legal hit. It doesn't hit him in the face. It doesn't hit him in the neck area. It's shoulder. There's no helmet contact. He's not launching himself. And I was, at this point, I was fuming because I thought we might actually lose this game because at this point it was 14-12. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what is going on here with these referees? I was losing my mind. I know you saw, I was posting in the chat, the group chat at the time, watching this game, and I'm thinking, this is appalling refereeing. I honestly thought that the Broncos might lose this game because of the refs. Turns out they didn't. Um, one other thing I wanted to say. Uh, I did tweet it, actually, because Mark uh, Mark Sanchez <laughs> was the, uh, what are the, the, the color commentator. That's what they call it, isn't it? Mark Sanchez was the color commentator in this game. Uh, doing doing the 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 um, analysis, not to play by play the analysis, and he's so biased in this game for the Browns. Uh, at least six times he said, "I can't believe we called that play." I'm going, "You were played for the Broncos. What are you doing?" So the Browns saying we called this play, and he must have said it like half a dozen times in the game. And when Adam Troutman caught his touchdown pass i'm not sure if you guys saw it it was right on the sidelines and he gets his knee in because he's sliding out of bounds so he catches the ball his knees in bounds it's a touchdown and mark sanchez says oh well i was i was worried about his about his backside that's what i was worried about and i thought do you know why because you've got fear of butts (laughs) (laughs) that's why he was worried about his backside because mark sanchez you know Uh, anyway broncos win this game Guess what? The Broncos, and I'm not making this up, have a winning record. Tiebreaker over the Buffalo Bills. Tiebreaker over the Cleveland Browns. They play Houston Texans. That's going to be a tough game this week. If the Broncos win that game and the Browns lose next week, or this week coming, Broncos are guaranteed at least to be in the driver's seat for the seventh seed spot that is insane after a one and five start and once again i'm going to apologize once again to vance joseph because i apologized a couple of weeks ago but i'm I'm apologizing again because this broncos defense is absolutely lights out 15 uh sorry 12 big fan 12 turnovers in the past three games it's been unbelievable the defense has played so well we mentioned pj lock because kareem jackson suspended pj lock played an incredible game in this one absolutely incredible um i don't know if you guys have anything to add to this i don't know if you watched the game jake we'll start mm-hmm. with you did, did you see any of this do you have anything you want to add i didn't see an awful lot of it i'm just happy that obviously the broncos had five in a row um it felt 
like the Browns tried to get too cute a few times. Especially oh, they from did. Yes, 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 yes. I, f- I feel like he was trying to uh, prove something. You know, a lot of people sometimes they play against their opposition coach and try and outplay them. And John Payton's known for his trick plays and his offensive kind of prowess. Um, but it doesn't mean you should try and be like, oh, watch this, Sean. This is how you do it. Uh, because that's how you get into trouble. Um, it's just really upsetting seeing so many former Saints doing well and just like, oh, we got rid of them for nothing, or we traded him away for nothing. Uh, I'm happy for you, but I'm dying inside. Well, I mean, you're talking about like Tom Peden and Will Lutz. Is that what it is? Troutman, yeah. Troutman, yeah, because, I mean, Lutz has been banging in the field goals. Uh, you know, weeks one to three. It's like the entire team. I don't know what's happened with this Broncos team. Dave, don't worry. I'm going to pass it on to you. And I'm sorry if I'm going on about the Broncos. But, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to. I did it all last year because we sucked. And through the first six weeks of the season, we sucked. And now I'm happy. So, Will Lutz has been banging in the field goals. He's been reliable. He's been accurate. It's been really good. Um, You cannot deny the difference Sean Payton has made to Russell Wilson. It's just, it's night and day from last year. And, uh, you know, with every passing week, those comments he made about Nathaniel Hackett, whether or not he should have done it, whether or not you should have, are absolutely borne out. Because this, what, let's not forget, this was the worst de- uh, offense in the entire league last year by miles. They were like dead last in scoring, dead last in yards, dead last in pass yards, dead last in rush yards, dead last in third end conversion, dead last in red zone offense. And now, after that awful start, <laughs> <laughs> they're right back in the game. And the defense is right back in the game. And and Vance Joseph, you know, hats off to you. I was calling for your job after the 70 burger with Miami. I was. I said, you know, how could you not be prepared for this game? But they've done it. D- Dave, I've, I'll put it over to you because I will talk for another 20 minutes if you give me a chance. Don't let me do that. <laughs> Dave, any thoughts on this game whatsoever? I think, well, with the PJ Locke uh, one, um, I think they just thought it was Kareem Jackson and assumed the worst. So uh, they probably just, it was just mistaken identity that he was punished for there. Um, the Browning one uh, was is uh, up there with one of the most ridiculous flags I've seen for a while. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a hard hit. I mean, he hit him really hard. It was a hard, hard hit, but yeah. it, was a, it was clean. It, um, you know, it, they, they're, they're obviously at grassroots level. They're... Uh, teaching them how to tackle. That's one of the biggest emphasis of the NFL. You know, like in kind of high school, uh, even all the way up to college, they're teaching them how to tackle. And do you know what? That's how. That's the extent. You don't go past that. You don't go past what Browning did. But that's not a penalty. Yeah, well, what are they supposed to do? Is, is it, is it going to become like flag football now? Because I mean, these, these hard hits are going to happen. But it wasn't illegal. And... Yeah, I, th- I just think it was a, a poor, poor position. I'm uh, sorry, poor, poor de- decision, I should mm. say. Yeah, it but, was. Um, it was. Yeah, I think the. I mean, what what before um, going to Denver? What was one of Russell Wilson's main strengths? Um, scrambling, sc- scrambling around like an idiot behind the line of scrimmage for twenty seconds, <laughs> extending the play, making and that's what. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's what he's been able to do in Denver. Oh, he's, he's got this kind of new lease uh, with uh, Sean Payton there because Sean Payton le- is letting him do it. Because I think un- under uh, the Denver Lord and Savior, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, I think he was I think he was kind of being committed to being a pocket passer. Do, do you know something? It's, 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 it's really funny because last year, through I think it was three weeks or whatever, four weeks, and I, I'm forgetting exactly what it was. And we we were talking about you know what's happened to Russell Wilson, and the one mm-hmm. thing that I noticed was he's not audibling at all. There are no audibles being called. He's running the plays that are being called. They're they're doing inside runs from the shotgun all the time, pass plays from under center all the time. It was just bizarre. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember the auditions for the for the Manning cast video that they put out. Mm-hmm. Do you, you remember the video? And you know there was it was yep. Jim Arce was there and Tom Brady and Sean Payton was there. And you know Peyton Manning says, you know, what do you think about Audible?s And Sean Payton's like, oh well, you know, I I don't believe it. You just run the play that's put in. Russ is audibling on every other play. Because he's got the freedom to do that. And he's, you know, he's looking at the defense and then you can hear him shouting out, kill, 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 kill. Or there was one who shouted, pizza, pizza. Sorry, Jake. Because I'm, I'm assuming Little Caesars is still Caesars, is it? <laughs> I well, don't Caesar's. think it is. Caesars Superdome is not Little Caesars. But you know what I mean. Anyway. No. he's that kind of stretch. Yeah, that's a big stretch. He's shouting pizza, 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 pizza. I was like, I don't know what that is. But the play worked because it just, tore the Browns defense apart and this was the other thing the other sorry I said I wasn't going to go on but I'm going to go on because the strength of the Browns defense the statistically best defense and I think I had it written down I lost my piece of paper um I think it's over the past 20 yeah 2006 Pittsburgh Steelers I think we're 20, 2006 Pittsburgh Steelers were the last defense to have the stats that this um, Browns defense is having uh, against the run. They're allowing fewer yards than any defense has allowed in, you know, 16, 17 years. The Broncos went, really? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ram it right down your throats. They went for over 160 yards and almost every carry was straight up the middle. Also, big shout out to Samaji P. Ryan. I'm loving this guy. What a signing by the Broncos. I cut you off, Dave. I'm sorry. No, I, I mean, I, just um, two quick things. Though. I, I want to give a massive shout out to one of the most underrated players uh, in the league who I think just again shown in this game and that's uh, Alex Singleton. Uh, I, I, I think he's one of the best uh, linebackers in the league and I think he's just proven that week in week out he's always there he's always got a good read on the play um, and just a, you know he got another 10 tackles in this game but also he recovered a fumble so yeah, very, very good for him as well um, one thing I do have a theory about why the Broncos ran the ball so much and that is because if you've got a player like Miles Garrett now, obviously, Miles Garrett went down injured, so that I think that's thrown a spanner in the entire AFC with that. So, Miles Garrett could be uh, it could be out uh, for a period of time. Oh yeah, because he's a by weeks far on. and away the the engine room of that entire defense. Exactly, but also you have to remember Denzel Ward is out injured as well. 
So that's a that's another kick in the teeth for the Browns there. Um, but I think the reason that Sean Payton went for uh, primarily running the ball because obviously Wilson only had twenty two attempts, uh, twenty two throwing attempts. Obviously, he took off a couple, a, a good few times as well. But the main reason that he had Javante Williams and uh, Samari Pirine was because. Uh, teams going up against the Browns this year seem to be panicking a little bit. When, obviously, there's so much pressure getting to a quarterback with players like Miles Garrett, um, what's their other option is just to run the ball. But then that's, you know, they're expecting it. They know they're going to do it. So in this, in this case, if you start out running the ball and you start successfully running the ball, you keep doing that. I mean, in total, including Russell Wilson's um, running, yeah, 100, 160 yards... Uh, plus uh, on rushing, but um, you know Ru- Russell Wilson he threw for what 130 yards or something, uh, and yet they put up more rushing yards than throwing, and that's not something you see every day, especially against the Cleveland Browns. So, yeah, it was it was just coach- a coaching plan that was executed to perfection, and then the defense comes up trumps as well, particularly with Alex Singleton and PJ Locke who were brilliant, and then of course if anything gets through them, you've got uh, the people like. Pat Sertan, Fabian Moreau, Justin Simmons to wipe up. So very well done by the Denver Broncos. Yeah, um, I, we're going to move on, guys. So don't worry. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are going to move on now. Um, just the one thing I was going to say, Amari Cooper, two catches, 16 yards. In that don't forget Jay Judy, two for 11. Yeah. Okay, he's got Joe Flacco thrown next week, probably. He'll be fine. <laughs> General, <laughs> uh, we are moving on. Dave, you'll be happy to know your Los Angeles Rams were playing the Arizona Cardinals this week at State Farm Stadium in front of 62,177 fans. The Rams took care of business in this one quite handily, in fact, and uh, they come away with a 37-14 victory. They're up to 5-6. Cardinals fall to 2-10. and 10. Dave, Rams, Cardinals, what did you think? Oh, I mean, it, it, it was only 37 points to the Rams. That's what I think, because the Rams could have uh, cut. I mean, they could have been in the 40s easily um, in this game. So this game can be summed up with one man, Kai Ron Williams. And the Rams could have got basically 40, 50 points easily. Uh, we, we basically steamrolled the Cardinals. Uh, the, the game started really, really weird, though. Uh, the, the Cardinals... Uh, they, t- they, they had a fake punt that they then went for a first down. They had an early two-point conversion, which was a weird one. So they went out an 8-7 to seven lead, but uh, then the Rams put up 30 unanswered points and Stafford was picking them out left, right and centre. The only one blemish on Stafford's game was a very questionable pass, which went straight to the uh, cornerback. And yeah, I don't even know what he was thinking there. Uh, it was Jalen Thompson that picked that one off. But Kyron Williams, 16 carries, 143 yards on the ground, and then through the air, 6 for 61 and 2 touchdowns. Uh, And the only thing I can really say is that every time that we did a running back screen, it was successful. Big shout as well to Tyler Higby because he got 2 touchdowns in a year that he has just been unable to find the end zone much at all. Um, I think that was his first 2 touchdowns of the year. Uh, which is very unlike Tyler Higby, uh, just hasn't been able to find him. But uh, yeah, I'm very happy. Uh, I, I think the Cardinals are just horrible, and Kyler didn't really stand a chance, I'm afraid. So I, because, because we were so long in previous games, I'm just going to float off into the distance, because this was a fantastic game. Cooper Cup 
3 for 18, wasn't really needed. Pukunakua, 4 for 27, wasn't really needed. We had Kai, Kai Run Williams, we had Tutu Atwell with a couple big big plays as well. And that about sums it up because we were pretty decent on uh, defense. We had uh, four sacks on Calamari. Uh, Aaron Donald, as per usual, was triple teams, but ma- still managed to get a, a couple bumps on uh, Kyler just to make sure he's still awake and he's not uh, falling asleep or thinking about any Call of Duty games or anything along those lines. Uh, but yeah, when you're triple covered by the uh, by a tight end, a tackle, and a guard, you're going to find it very difficult. So the other players have to step up, uh, and that included two sacks from Kobe Turner. Uh, I think uh, Michael Hoyt got one as well, along with Deshaun Johnson, who that's the first time I've ever heard of Deshaun Johnson. So welcome to LA if he's new. Uh, apart from that, there's, there wasn't much else to say. Uh, aside from the Rams are now five and six and ever slightly creeping back into contention. And quite rightly so. Uh, Jake, the Arizona Cardinals are 2-10. and 10. Jonathan Gannon, the coach, has had a really rough time of it. Um, obviously with Kyler missing the first few games, but there's there's stuff to look forward to for this Cardinals because they still have some some good young players there. And uh, what, what do you think of, of, of Gannon as a whole, as a coach for the Cardinals? I think it's definitely better than what they've had in previous years. Yeah, it's a hard to, to judge them. I'm hoping... Um the Cardinals think the same and they don't just kind of one and done with them because they've got, okay, so they do have some talent, but they were trading away players left and right. Um, they obviously didn't have their quarterback for half the season. They then found a solid quarterback and then traded him away. Um, so I think it is, everyone kind of expected it this season for them. Um, they're going to have some good draft picks, whether they take a quarterback or they just decide to surround um, Kyler as another thing. And then for the Rams to pop. 37 points when uh, Cobb and Nakua uh, got 45 yards combined, I think, is is frankly very impressive. It is impressive, and it was good, as you mentioned, uh, Kyron Williams had over 200 yards of total offense. The guy had an incredible game. The Rams seem to just keep finding players who just step up uh, you know, in the moment, and it's um, yeah, it was it was great, really good game from it, an impressive win well, for. Oh, sorry, did yes, carry on. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I do. Um, it, apart from uh, Pukunakua, obviously he came out the fifth round, as did Kyron Williams. So you know, th- those are two late round big picks. I do want to give a shout out though to uh, Dorse, the uh, Arizona Cardinal player, because he made a fantastic one handed catch. Uh, it was right at the end of the game, so it was more for pride than anything else. But uh, yeah, so a, a, good, a good week for some spectacular catches, I would say. It was indeed. Um, so we're going to move on, gentlemen. We come to Allegiant Stadium, where the Las Vegas Raiders welcomed the Kansas City Chiefs in front of 62,441 fans. Um, and the Chiefs came into this one and found themselves in an absolute hole they were down 14 to nothing with um 638 to go in the second quarter but they did manage to come back and from then on it was plain sailing for the chiefs they went to run out a 31 17 victory jake uh you watched this game it was um it was it was pretty backwards and forwards early on but the chiefs just sort of walked away with it at the end there yeah, I mean, the the Chiefs' defense under Spagnuolo has been great recently. They're tied third for allowing the fewest points on the first drive. Didn't seem to phase uh, the Raiders, who they marched down very efficiently. Uh, Jacoby Myers had another great game, 679. You know what I think of him. 
Um, got his touchdown. Um, should have been 10 nothing. They, they missed a, a very easy, makeable um, field goal. Um, there's a Chiefs three and out. <laughs> it was just, it was all Raiders. Um, so he missed from inside 30 for the first time in 46 attempts. Um, all the, the Raiders' weapons were, were firing. Um, Josh Jacobs, who went 20 for 110, birth for a marvelous um, 63 yard touchdown. It's 14 nothing, and the Chiefs weren't even out of neutral. Um, but after some hard running from Clyde Edwards Hilaire, um, Pacheco came in, secured his first touchdown of the day. The next Chiefs drive had a flea flicker uh, deep to Kelsey uh, before Justin Watson, who was absolutely laid out on his uh, on his route, stood up, and then the Raiders just decided, oh, we we forgot about him. He just kind of stood up, moved a few inches, had his hands there, and got a wide open touchdown. It was very very bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, not one of his proudest moments, I don't imagine, running into a brick wall of a defender and then just standing up and catching a touchdown. But all of a sudden, it was all square at half. The Chiefs started the second half, and uh, boy, Pacheco is fun to watch. He runs so angry. He was 15 for 55 and two touchdowns. He had 5 for 34 in the air. He scored his second. Uh, and following a third and out, the Raiders served up a lovely 29-yard punt. So that uh, kind of showed where the momentum was going. Um, would like to say a big shout out to Max Crosby, who was the first player listed as doubtful to actually play this year. If you're interested, there has been 67 players listed as doubtful. Um, and like I say, he was the first one to actually make it onto the field. He was basically on one leg and looks like he still will require surgery, but he managed a sack. And I'm pretty sure that was the only sack for the, the Raiders. So that says a lot when... Yeah, a guy with one leg is doing it. Um, there's a couple of late drops by Jacob. Um, there's an unbelievable um, throw and catch by uh, the Raiders to Jacoby Myers, 33 yards where he completely laid out for it. Um, but ultimately, it was kind of outshone by a great catch and run by Rasheed Rice to seal the win on a 39-yard touchdown. He went 8 for 107. We were kind of asking when one of the, the Chiefs wide receivers were going to step up, and I thought it was going to be Rasheed Rice. Well, it took a few weeks, but he did have a good performance. Like you say, worrying signs early for the Chiefs, but they got together and in the end, it wasn't really that much of a, a worry at all. No, uh, it wasn't. The, the, the Chiefs looked pretty... It, was, it ended up a pretty solid victory for them. Um, you look at some of the... Play, Mahomes, 27-34, you see, you know, 298 yards. Uh, he had a rating of 122.8. Adrian O'Connell played pretty well dave he, mm-hmm. he looked he looked like uh it's, it sounds ridiculous to say it he looked like an nfl quarterback but we've seen so many other quarterbacks play who don't look like any uh, nfl quarterbacks um the raiders seem to have found a, a a little bit of a well we'll see a rough diamond in Aiden o'connell he's certainly not perfect but he knows how to play this game um and they gave the chiefs a real scare early on in this one didn't they Mm, they did indeed, but I I, th- I think we're actually just seeing a bit of a, a bounce from uh, the, the McDaniel's travesty. I think we're going to have to call it for his reign uh, in charge of Las Vegas. Um, O'Connell looks very good, yeah, and I think he he's he's going to be a really good uh, backup quarterback. I think we 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 I mean we already said it in this uh, show 
we, you need a good backup quarterback, and Anal Collins is definitely that. Um, I, I, I mean, he was just he was up. The Chiefs' defense just decided to show up uh, after the start of the game, and he, they didn't really. They could just couldn't get really on the scoreboard. Um, well, one one little. Um, should, we, should we call it a bonus early random stats? Do you want to hear one? That um, Josh Jacobs, uh, he broke 1,000 yards from scrimmage this season uh, to become the only player to reach that mark each year since 2019. Um, and he's, he joins Hall of Famer Marcus Allen as the only Raiders back to accomplish that in their first five seasons. So well, that's a, a, a little early one. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, going forward, the Raiders, uh, what's their record? Five and seven? Well, they, they're probably... Yeah, I, th- I think that it's now maybe time to prepare for next season. Obviously, statistics, well, uh, you know, they're not out of it, but I don't, I don't think they've, um, they're, they're going to make it this season. I think they, they've got a, a good, they've got good foundations to build on. I think similarly, you can say that with the Texans. Texans might scrape in this year. Uh, Broncos might scrape in this year. You know, it's be- between the two of them, I think are the main ones. As of right now, it is actually the Colts that are uh, scraping in. So mm-hmm. that would be that's an interesting one as well. Don't count out the Raiders, but um, definitely don't count them in either because I think they've got a long way to go. Um, but one question that does pop up, though, when uh, Jimmy G comes back, what happens with him? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, 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 th- I think the Raiders might stick with O'Connell. I think he's played well enough. When he's a young guy, uh, there's mm-hmm. obviously plenty of room for improvement and we know that. But I think they might stick with him because I don't think... Garoppolo was doing anything spectacular to sort of, you know, keep like keeping another player away because of his play. I don't think that was the case there. So um I think I think the Raiders are more content to sort of lean on their defense uh to sort of help them win games and the offense just needs to do enough. Uh, obviously it, mm-hmm. it didn't work in this game. They were never, they were just outclassed uh, in the end by Kansas City, but I I think that's that's what they'll be looking for. But gentlemen, we're going to move on and we come to the Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field in front of 69,879 fans. And this game was an absolute doozy. But once again, officiating becomes one of the main stories. The Eagles actually come away with a win in this one, 37-34, despite the Bills leading for uh, the majority of this game. Uh, almost the entire game, in fact, with Jalen Hurts, um, uh, sorry, Jake Elliott, beg your pardon, banged down a 59-yard field goal with 20 seconds to go to put it into overtime. Tyler Bass had a 40-yard field goal to make it 34-31 to Buffalo. And then Jalen Hurts had a 12-yard rush to make it 37-34. Um, Dave, this was your game. It was a fun game to watch, but oh my goodness, the refs are going to get absolutely killed after this one, aren't they? Yeah, so what a full disclaimer before I even start. A, I'm not going to be able to do this game justice because I cannot find the words to describe how great a game this was. But also, B, I'm going to let you two... I watched the full game, so I'm going to let you two sort of uh, talk about the officiating before I have mine because I may go off on one uh, watching this and I'm a neutral that was watching this. So I'll get you, you guys to talk about it too talk first and then i will just either confirm or enrage uh, anything <laughs> you guys say well um, the big the, the big one was the intentional grounding call 
on Josh Allen. Jake, did you see this call? No, I got my five games and right. I watched some oh, of the highlights okay. and right. stuff. You, you, so what what okay. you need to do, Jake, uh, is uh, you don't need to do it just now. You can do it afterward, after the fact. Um, is go to Twitter or YouTube and just look up Josh Allen intentional grounding because what happened was he he goes back to pass. Um, he gets grabbed by the defender. The defender literally grabs him by the back of the neck, full horse collar, throws him into the ground. And as he's going to the ground, Josh Allen is at like trying to throw and it gets sort of flipped forward. Um, and then a flag gets thrown and everyone, and I mean all the commentators, all the fans, everyone watching on television is going, wow. I mean, talk about roughing the passer. That's a full-blown horse collar on a quarterback in the pocket. That's horrendous. 15-yard penalty. Nope. Josh Allen gets called for intentional grounding. And as the referee's calling this, Josh Allen walks up to him and he's like, my shirt has literally been ripped in half because this guy horse collared me. And they just called intentional grounding on Josh Allen. And I'm sitting going... That might be the worst call I've ever seen. Uh, apologies to Saints fans, obviously, because of, you know, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, Rams pass interference. But this that was a non-call. This might be the, the worst call, as in calling the wrong thing that I've ever seen. I, I don't know how. And they showed the replay, obviously, on the big screens. And the entire stadium. And this was in Philadelphia. And all the Eagles fans are going, what the heck was that call? Nobody could understand what that call was. There was a few phantom calls in this, but that was the worst call I've ever seen. And uh, Dave, before we put it back over to you, the, um, right, so whatever you want to call it, the toothbrush, the brotherly shove, mm. the, I don't care what you call it, um, teams complaining about it. Stop letting Philadelphia get to third and inches and fourth and inches. There you go. Right. Right. Because they, they, they can't run it if they're in th third and nine. So stop that and then just stop complaining when they score on fourth and inches from the goal line or third and inches from the goal line. Just stop it. I'm sick of the complaints about this play. And I've, I've seen on Twitter again fans complaining about this play, complaining, complaining, complaining. Just, just stop letting them get to third and fourth and less than a yard and then that play has been eliminated you have the power to stop this play ever taking place so uh, anyway sorry i'm that's me going off again good grief you need to put a rain on me dave talk about the game well i mean it started off uh with that two push that was the first scoring play of the game in the first quarter um and then basically at, in the second quarter the eagles just kind of I don't know, shot themselves in the foot a couple of times um, because there was a pick and a fumble in the, the second quarter by the Bills and they both led to Bills touchdowns. So it was 17-7 at half time. And I tell you what, when I was watching the game, the most uh, kind of eye-catching thing was the booze that the team went off to. Uh, and you don't often hear that, uh, well, the last couple of years in Philadelphia anyway. And if they are, it's more booing and with sarcasm. So that seems to be the Philly way, just just moan about anything and everything. Um, not that I'm saying Sirianni is responsible for 90% of that, but that's another topic completely. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, basically Jalen Hurts turned up in the second half and played played the Eagles back into it. It, it was just fantastic quarterback play. Um, but uh, yeah, the Bills, they, they led uh, 31-28, with about 150 left, I've written in my notes, um, before the Eagles made a couple great plays with Jalen Hurts right at the helm there. And then Jake Elliott scoring with 20 seconds remaining from a 59-yard field goal to make it 31-all. Boom. Overtime. Fantastic. You know, it, it, a game that was mired in uh, all sorts of controversies and uh, dodgy calls in every single way possible. Um, but into overtime, obviously neither team scored on the uh, opening drives, but then a 40-yard field goal from Tyler Bass uh, puts the Bills 34-31 up. And then it was just, it was all about Jalen Hurts, a, ga- a game-winning drive. And in the end, it was a 12-yard designed quarterback run for the walk-off touchdown, uh, which, you know what, I, considering the way he played from uh, halftime, I think he deserved it. I, I was I had no qualms about it whatsoever. So then we move on to that call. Now, there's some controversy around that, actually. that's uh, it's, it's not just on the field, because I was in shock. I, I could not believe it when I was watching it. But after the game, something even crazier happened in the, the interviews of after the game. Now, Hassan Reddick was the one that was uh, with the horse collar, right? Now, um, he, he has claimed that Josh Allen was lobbying the officials for an intentional grounding call after that. Now, that doesn't make sense. To me, right now, what Reddick said his exact words were: uh, he was lobbying for an intentional grounding. If that doesn't tell you what that means, they got to start counting that as a sack. They're just throwing the ball away with nobody in the area, so they don't get a sack. We rush well; they already don't want us to get any sacks after we had seventy last year. They don't want us to be who they are. So he thinks there's some sort of conspiracy that and Josh Allen is just playing the victim card. I would counter that with, you grabbed him by the horse collar and tried to pull him down. Don't be so ridiculous. And the the thing is, though, some of the other Eagles players uh, on defense that were interviewed uh, by journalists after the game basically were corroborating Hassan Reddick's claims. So what on earth is going on there? I I have no idea. No. (laughs) No, exactly. Thank you. That that was one of the most blatant horse collars I've ever seen. Literally, hand around the back of the neck, pulls him to the ground. Rips his Correct. jersey while doing it. Exactly. Uh, so I don't know where they're coming from. Um, Jake, very quickly, I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, the Eagles, almost like the Steelers, have been outgained in like the last six games by um, opposing offenses. Um, and they've won five. They've won the last five games. I I don't know. I know I know they were the best record in the NFL. I understand that, but I don't know if they can keep this up and go on a playoff run, playing the way they're playing offensively because it's not the same as last year. What do you think of the Eagles so far? Um, they make big plays when it matters, but yeah, I, I had written down here they outgained by at least a hundred yards in four straight, and they're four zero. In those four games, so at, at least a hundred yards. I didn't know it was that much. Yeah, not even not even outgained. Outgained by at least a hundred yards Oof. in four straight. I mean, even this game, the time of possession, Bills had over forty minutes. 
92 to 65 plays, 505 yards to 370 aims. You know, on paper, it's not a particularly close one. Uh, but like I say, they, they're kind of like the anti-Dallas. They seem to kind of play to their opposition. Mm. Um, so they have a tough game. They tough it out. If they play a poor game, sometimes they play a bit poor. Um, we saw that, like we say, with their loss, you know. Explains a lot. Um, <laughs> that loss to the but, Jets uh, is such a sore thumb sticking out there. But you see, with the the you know we joked earlier, the Panthers at one and ten are still seriously in playoff contention. <laughs> well, the Bills might not be. They're they're on the bye now. They've got the Chiefs uh, after the bye. Then they have Dallas, and it's just thinking like it, it's this is supposed to be their Super Bowl window, and it's it's very much turning into a nightmare and. It feels like them and the Chargers are very similar in terms of they have great talent and great team, but they just can't seem to put it together. Yeah, the thing with the Bills is that they, um, they're currently in 10th spot in the FC. Um, they're trading Denver, Houston, and Indianapolis all in 6-5. and five. Now, the Bills have played one extra game. They're 6-6. Six and six, but, but the Broncos have the tiebreaker over the Bills. Um, and... As you, as you mentioned, you know, there were Dallas to play and there were Kansas City to play. I don't think many people thought, I know I didn't, I didn't think the Bills would just miss stuff. I, I had them winning the, this division. I thought Miami had closed the gap, but the Bills are still the class of this division. And oh my word, I don't know what's happened. I, I really don't know what's happened with, with Buffalo. But we've been saying it all year, you know, who are the real Bills? We don't know. Because they're so inconsistent. Uh, but we should move on, gentlemen, to uh, one of the division leaders at the moment, um, tied to the best record in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens, who took on the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium in front of 70,240 fans. And the Ravens come away with a 20-10 victory. They move to 9-3. and The Chargers fall to 4-7. and um, and despite the fact that the Ravens won this by 10 points, and despite what you might read in the box score, and I'm going to, I'm going to read some of the stats out here. Um, Justin Herbert, 29 of 44, 217 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Doesn't sound great. And I'm going to sound like a scratched record again, because I'm seeing this, it seems almost every week. If this guy doesn't get his guys to catch the ball, there's not much he can do. Um, his one saving guy was Keenan Allen. Uh, and even he had a horrendous drop in this game uh, on a, a big third down play. There's nothing Herbert can do to, to help this team because he is putting the balls on people's hands. Sometimes he's hitting them in the chest. Sometimes he goes through their hands and hits them in the face. It's absolutely horrendous. What's going on with these uh, Chargers? The Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 18-32 for 177 yards. One touchdown, no picks, nice and safe. Uh, rushing, there are plenty of guys rushing the ball. Jackson himself went for 39. Keaton Mitchell, uh, who's playing, playing really well recently, 9 for 64. He um, also caught two passes for 25 yards as well. Zay Flowers, he had um, five receptions, 25 and a touchdown. The Ravens might be the most consistent team at the moment in the NFL. Um, not going to say they're the best team in the NFL, but just consistency week in, week out. They're looking like a very strong team. Uh, even when they lose games, it's not like they're, they're losing because it, it all fell apart. It's close games. Dave, I'll put it to you first. 
the Baltimore Ravens, um, could they be sneaking in for the first overall seed in the AFC? Because, I mean, the, the record says that, the, you know, they're tied with every other division leader in the AFC, they're tied. Um, you look at the the, the the standings as it is, they've got the, they've got the first seed because they played one more game than the Chiefs, the Jaguars, uh, and the Dolphins. So the Ravens are nine and three. Chiefs, Jags, and Dolphins are all eight and three. You've got to think that uh, you know they're in the driving seat. You really have to think that the Ravens might be the first uh, first place uh, seat in the AFC. What do you think? I mean, they don't have the easiest kind of run in um, because they've got the mighty LA Rams uh, next um, <laughs> in Baltimore. So that that that's going to obviously be a big sticking point for them. But then they're at they're at Jacksonville. They're at the 49ers. They're hosting the Dolphins and they're hosting the Steelers. So that's not the easiest run in. So that's where they're really going to be put to the test. Um, I do. I did see something earlier though that the last time the Ravens were nine and three was the last time they won the Super Bowl. So keep an eye on that one. Um, but, you know, in this game, though, Zay Flowers uh, was, the really, was the really kind of standout receiver. He made some great plays. Uh, but, you know, they're get, they, I think like, um, like the Eagles did last year, even when they weren't playing their best, they still managed to get those wins in the regular season. They, they were still getting over the line. Um Kind of, it must be must be a thing in the division because the Ravens are pulling out their best Steelers impression uh, with some of these kind of uglier wins. But um, how long is Brandon Saley going to keep his job in LA, though? Well, I Just, was I was going to put that to Jake because again we've spoken about this before. <laughs> and sorry, I, I stole Jake's thunder. No, not at all, not at all. Um, uh, do you know what, Jake? I will throw it over to you. Some of the decisions made by the Chargers in this game were just bizarre. And, you know, Steely's the head coach. He said, uh, was it last week or the week before, uh, you know, I'm calling the plays, I'm, do- I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm calling the defense. Whatever. Well, thinking, stop. <laughs> yeah, just stop doing it because what you're doing is not working. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, uh, he's not surviving the off-season, surely. Uh, anyone with a brain can see he's kind of become the problem. And he said, well, even if he's not the problem, he's certainly not the solution. Um, I mean, the Ravens, like you say, they are kind of a complete team. They're plus four turnovers on defense. Um, so the offense was far from perfect, but they still won. Um, like I say, Keen Allen, 14 for 106. That's a lot of receptions for not a lot of yards. Since they've lost Mike Williams, they just have no one um, to stretch the field because Quentin Johnson is uh, looking like a certified bust at the moment. He certainly... Um, yeah, Not because he, he, he went a pick before Zay Flowers. Yeah, she just can't catch. Yeah, which is kind of important for a wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, he was going to be wide receiver three, four, and you know uh, that wasn't too bad. But you lose Mike Williams. You know, okay, well, we need you to step up. You know, you're a big player. Um, you know, stature-wise, uh, and you can stretch the field. And he just like you say, it's all well and good stretching the field, but if you can't catch the damn ball, then you're pretty useless. And for the Chargers, pretty much season over, um, or very close to it. Again, I, the, I, I can see them letting go of Staley at the end of the season, but I don't quite waste time. And I, I sincerely hope when they do fire him, they basically talk to Justin Herbert like he's a GM and say, who do you want? Because if you don't, 
if I'm Justin Herbert, I'm like, get me, get me out of LA. I don't want to be here, or at least get me out of the Chargers because maybe the other LA team, but just get me out of the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, we we mentioned this before. Uh, I don't know if it was last week, the week before. Justin Herbert has to be absolutely raging at what's going on at this organization. He must be, and I know it's like, um, it sounds like we're just giving Herbert a pass and uh, nothing's his fault and you know everything else is terrible but this might actually be one of those situations because Herbert's playing really he is making insane throws he's not making ridiculous decisions every game he's not losing games to the Chargers he is doing everything he can to keep them in games everything else is falling apart around him if I'm Justin Herbert I'm saying you know what screw your contract I don't need the whatever 50 million, or I forget what the contract was, uh, you know, per year. Get me out. I will go to a team who actually wants to utilize the talents that I have. Because he is, he's got some of the most raw talent that I've seen in years. And I don't say this lightly when I say that I really am comparing him to the likes of guys like Dan Marino. Guys like John Elway, people who had this insane arm talent. He can make all the throws. He make tends to you know he makes the right decisions, and the team is just absolutely killing this guy's career. He's putting up yards, but th- th- there's no wins coming from it because of everything else that's going on. Um, Dave, I will chuck that over to you quickly. I mean, what, what's your opinion on this? Because I, I don't want it to. I don't want people to think. Oh, we're literally just giving Herbert a pass and he can do no wrong. Of course he can. But I, I, I fail to remember a time when a team has really, really let down a player like this. The way the Chargers and all their coaching staff appear to be, um, allegedly, appear, appear to be mm-hmm. letting down Justin Herbert. What do you think of this? I mean, uh, there's, one, there's one kind of uh, drive that pretty much sums up uh, what's happened in in. Well, I say in LA, no comment, but at the Chargers there, um, because there was one play where a drive with 19 plays on it for the Chargers, and they came up empty-handed. Nothing, they took nothing from it. It was just, it started out, Justin Herbert, short pass to the right. Justin Herbert, short pass to the right. I think he had four or five on the bounce, where it was just short pass to the right for like kind of three five eight yards those kind of those kind of yardage right there and then and they went 19 yards and in the in the end i think it's it spans it it, it just kept spanning the whole it just kept going it just kept going and kept going and then in the end it was uh it was, uh, herbert was sacked probably because the offensive line was knackered by that point and justin herbert was knackered he was sacked and then it, it fumbled it and um it was collected by uh Jadavian Clowney who uh sacked him as well so, um, yeah, that was, it, it, I mean, the amount of um, kind of times that they're asking Herbert. To, well, actually, I'll, I'll give you a quick question. Well, if you could think of maybe one, maybe two of Herbert's top outstanding uh, attributes, what would you say? Well, arm, arm strength yeah. is the big one. Arm strength. Well, sorry, Jake, what did you say? His hair. His hair is glorious. His hair is glorious. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's so like we'll his, deme- his demeanor. Uh, his de- he's he's like a cool his, dude. His his hair is only second to like Justin Lawrence, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Sorry. Um, yeah, mm. it's incredible. It, no, everything well, I, about everything yeah. about Herbert, everything about him that I see screams professionalism, screams talent. 
screams ability. Every, I've not seen a single thing from Herbert that makes me think, oh, maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. Nothing. I've doesn't, never... Doesn't throw many surface pros, you know? A lot of the quarterbacks <laughs> love to throw a surface pro. He, he's not really got that, got that in him. That's true. He doesn't have that in him. Yeah, he's not much well, of a... How much producer. does he love the game? I love yeah. when people are like that. Because he doesn't go around yelling at people, does he really love the game? I know. Though? Yeah, it's like mm. he's got no passion. Shut up. This guy is one of the... Talent-wise, he really is. Uh, honestly, yeah. I, I, if you ask me to rate quarterbacks on pure talent, I'm talking about just pure talent. I've got Patrick Mahomes number one, Justin Herbert number two. Josh Allen, Josh Allen might be number three. Why Taysom Hill? I Taysom Hill on pure talent. Waste more talent than all of them. I'm pure talent. I'm pure, well, actually, do you know what? He's the number one yeah. player in the entire league. Good grief. <laughs> but no, no, it is. I mean, that's that's how much ability Justin Herbert has. Everything he does, he does well. And you can argue, oh, you know, he shouldn't have held on to that ball. He took a sack here. He threw a pick there. But this guy's having to make plays. It's almost like, and I really hope this guy's career doesn't go the same way. It's almost like Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. Trying to do everything by himself because there is no help around him. And it's and as we've already said, it's not like the Chargers don't have talent. They've got tons of talent. Tons of it. But it's not being used. And that's not up to Herbert to do that. That's up to the play callers. That's down to the coaches. Well, just to just to emphasize your point about the play calling, uh on, on that nineteen play drive. He had one pass that went over for uh, went more than ten yards, and that was the very first one, forty uh, fourteen yards to Keenan Allen. The rest were all. There was one for ten yards. The rest were under. So, yeah, exactly. And you know, he had he had uh, double digit throws in that one. Only one went for more that, than ten yards. That, that's absolutely horrendous play calling. It it really is horrendous play. I did see one of the ones where they had, I, I forget what it was. It was quite a long game they were going for, the 15, 16 yards. And it's a, it's like a, a, a three-yard slant. And I'm like, well, who's your call? Is it Nathaniel Hackett? Is it Pat Sherman? Who's calling the plays here? Because that's what it looks like. Sorry, Jake. We've got some great news then, because if you think uh, not throwing 10 yards, uh, having a terrible offensive game plan is bad. We've got to talk about Chicago stuff. Do you know what, oh, gentlemen? Yeah, let's move on do. because we, otherwise this podcast is going to be three hours long. Right. We do. We're going to move on. We've got one final game. Chicago Bears, Minnesota Vikings, US Bank Stadium, 66,843 people watched this game. Unlucky. And they watched, unlucky for them, they mm-hmm. watched more screen passes <laughs> and one yard slants then you can shake a proverbial stick at in this game it was diabolical uh from an offensive point of view this was horrendous the bears come away with a 12 10 win over the vikings bears move up to four and eight the vikings fall to six and six here's the scoring nothing in the first quarter second quarter Cairo santos 25 yard field goal three nothing Greg Joseph, 34-yard field goal as time expires in the first half, 3-3. Third quarter, Cairo Santos, 39-yard field goal, 6-3. Fourth quarter, Cairo Santos, 55-yard field goal. So, you know, he, he kept getting progressively longer. 
Uh, with 554 to go in the game, TD Hawkinson caps a 17 yard pass from Joshua Dobbs. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings are now in front, 10 to 9. And then with 10 seconds to go in the game, Kyra Santos hits a 30 yard field goal, 12 10 Chicago. That was the game. Uh, Jake, there's nothing to talk about in this game but really short passing by the Bears. It was like, wow, do we throw a screen to the left or a screen to the right? That was the entire play calling. Um, what did you think of this one? Was, it was a, an interesting one. I mean, Fields fumbled. He, he was trying to give the Vikings multiple chances, bless him. He was he was <laughs> determined to give them a chance. Um, the Vikings, for me, they, they got so conservative at the end, uh, punting on fourth down when they'd previously been quite aggressive. They stopped blitzing when they're, literally their defense is built on blitzing. It felt like they got really, really conservative. Um, and I mentioned uh, throwing... Not very far. Well, Fields threw twice for over 10 yards. Uh, but the 34-yard to, to DJ Moore set up the field goal. I mean, DJ Moore, 11 for 114. I mean, it's just it's crazy. 29 teams have failed to score a touchdown. The Bears are the only ones to win. And then the, another crazy stat from this game, the Vikings have allowed one touchdown in their last eight quarters. They have lost both of those games. And then I had a, a nice nugget of that... Uh, Josh Dobbs has gone from the passionate to the astronaut. <laughs> I won't ask you to to count the number of S's in that. Oh my word, it's terrible. Uh, Dave, did you see this? this? Is a rotten game. I watched it and I was like, "What am I doing?" I nearly switched this off at halftime. I, I really did. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is this is just not. No, this was a bad end to a really exciting week uh, where there was some pretty good games, but then at the other end, you've got some pretty bad games as well. Um, the the one one thing I did pick up on was uh, there was a roughing call on Justin Fields that was not called by the refs, which was just that what what a joke that was. Um, so I think there, and that, that was, that was, it, it was a hel- if I remember right, was it a helmet to helmet? It was a helmet to helmet call. It, yeah. it, it was, it was, it was awful. Oh, there was another one. Did you see the, I'm going to, I'm going to forget the gentleman's name. So if you're listening, I apologize because I don't know your name. Um, the guy, he, he tackles the, the Vikings player out of bounds and he gets face masked as he's going out of bounds. Oh, yeah. did you see this? So. Yeah. As he's tackling the, the Vikings player, the Vikings grabs it, like like two hands, grabs it and yanks him down out of bounds, right? No penalty. But what happens is like he's he's like his his face mask is literally hanging <laughs> hanging off his helmet. So he takes his helmet off and the referee throws a flag. <laughs> for, for unsportsmanlike conduct, removing his helmet, and he's standing there going Look at my helmet, Jake. Did you see this? Uh, yes, yeah, he not only out of because the, the Bears actually he was mic'd up that play again. I don't know his name, so apologies, but uh, he was mic'd up. The Bears actually sent it to the office, like to the headquarters, to be like, Look at this. He, like I say, gets tackled out of bound by his face mask. He, the guy, the Vikings player, also like throws like three or four punches at him. He doesn't care because his team are doing well, so he like, laughs it off, runs off. Obviously, his helmet's hanging off, so he takes his helmet off, running about, and he gets flagged. So, it, yeah, it was really funny. And like I say, the Bears even sent it to the head office to be like, are you, are you dumb? Uh, like I say, not only that, they missed the, the face mask. That was obviously so blatant it broke their face mask, but he was getting punched as well. You know, it's like, 
It was the most petulant thing, and he just didn't let it bother him. Happy as Larry, and then gets flagged for it. Like, oh, I'm no longer happy as Larry. It was so weird with because the flag comes out, and he's like, "Yes, there we go." Because you know, 15 yard penalty, and they're like unsportsmanlike contact. The guy's like, "Hang on a second. and he goes over to the coach on the sideline, um, and, and he's like, he's showing him his helmet, and the coach is going, oh, and he's. They're both standing there looking at the ref. The ref's standing there looking at the helmet with the face mask hanging off it. And they're like, no, you took your helmet off. That's a 15-yard penalty. They're going, how did you call this? <laughs> it was utterly, utterly bizarre. Um, it was the most exciting thing to happen in the entire game as well. Because the game was rotten. Does anyone have anything else they want to say about this game? Uh, the only other thing is that there's uh, after this game, it's not very often you see a quarterback winning and then more calls for him to be traded, which is the case with Justin Fields. So, yeah, that's an, another interesting one. So, so yeah, just before we finish, because this is our last one, we need to, we need to move on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, yeah. Over time. But the Bears, as it stands, have the first overall pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. I just want a yes or no answer from you, Dave. Do the Bears draft Caleb Williams number one overall? Replace Justin Fields? Y- yes. Jake, do they draft Caleb Williams number one? Replace Justin Fields? It doesn't even have to be Caleb Williams. Just draft somebody instead of Justin Fields. <laughs> Just anyone. Doesn't matter who it is. Uh, okay, gentlemen, that wraps up our week 12 review. It certainly wasn't rapid fire. Oh, my wow. word. So uh, we're going to... No quick- so, but- it- yeah. What was that? There was no one on a bye week, so it was always going to be brutal. It was, uh, yeah, it was going to be a long one. It was definitely going to be a long one. So, gentlemen, we then come to our uh, WinFL um, Weekly Awards. Oh, yes, we do. Um, So, Jake, we're going to start off with you. Offensive Player of the Week. Who have you got? I've picked a guy who just come back from IR. Um, You may know him as Kai Ran-Williams. Uh, like Dave says, 16 for 143 on the ground, 6 for 61, two touchdowns in the air. Very, very impressive. Very impressive indeed. Yes, um, I've actually gone for Christian McCaffrey. Um, he had over 139 yards himself, and he had uh, two touchdowns uh, on the ground. So I was tempted to give it to Kyron Williams, but I figured that uh, Dave would go that way. Um, so <laughs> I went for Christian McCaffrey. Dave, who was your offensive player of the week, if we have to ask? I mean, no, you don't have to ask, but I, I don't. when you said that Christian McCaffrey had over 130-odd yards, I don't remember him getting over 200 all-purpose yards like Kai Ron Williams did. 204 yards, uh, two touchdowns, and a career-high game all round. So Kai Ron Williams should have had the clean sweep, apparently doesn't. Uh, Jake, you've always been my favourite. Oh, wow. Kyron Williams being called Kyron Williams and Kyron Williams. So, you know, (laughs) who's the real winner? Uh, We then come to our uh, Defensive Player of the Week. Jake McGee, who have you got? Well, similar how you didn't give it to to Mr. Williams because you knew Dave would. I didn't bother giving it to Jesse Bates because I know one of you too well. (laughs) So I gave it to Rashawn Gary. Had uh, seven tackles, three sacks, uh, two forced fumbles, and he even recovered one. So he is deserving of uh, some praise, and I I know that you two will probably cover the other one. Absolutely not. I've got Rashawn Gary. (laughs) I've got Rashawn Gary. The man had an absolute blinding game. 
It was Roshan Gary all the way from me. So, no, I, 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 I did look, because, listen, Jesse Bates was everywhere. Uh, but so was Tyrell Matthew. Uh, but uh, Rashan Gary essentially won that game for the Packers single-handedly. So uh, that's who I'm giving it to. Dave? Uh, we're not going to have a clean sweep. But it's not going to be Jesse Bates either. Oh. Because I watched as the, rec- as the record was Bland. set for the Cowboys. Deron Bland... But I mean, I, uh, the three that I did have, in fairness, you've already made, you've mentioned the other two, Jesse Bates and Rashawn Garrett, but Daron Bland, I watched it and I, I, I was, oh, when I was watching it, I, I was really em- emphatic for him and it was just a fantastic return. So Daron Bland gets my vote. Fair play, nothing wrong with that. A special teams slash defensive unit of the week. Jake McGee, who have you got? That was very stuck on this one but I ended up going for Cairo Santos even though he missed opening 48 Giada he then went 4 for 4 25 39 55 30 um, not even as many field goals as Blake Groupie but he scored 100% of the Bears points like Groupie did but his team won so 100% of the winning points um, I've actually gone for Blake Groupie uh, because <laughs> even though even though he lost even though he lost that guy was the entire offense um, and, and he was, was injured, and he wasn't exactly. So I've I've gone for Groupie as, as my special teams player, uh, Dave. I've actually gone for Jake Elliott because without Jake Elliott's fifty-nine yarder, uh, the Eagles would have lost that. So um, yeah, I mean, massive kudos to him, and he's I think he's one of the best kickers uh, in the NFL, very close to Justin Tucker. But yeah, Jake Elliott is my vote for this week. Oh. You, my, my Jake fantasy team is coming along next year. I've got Jake Bobo, <laughs> Jake Ferguson, Jake Elliott, Jake Moody. We're coming along. Quite right. Jake Browning. Jake you know, Browning. Jake all <laughs> the Jakes. All the Jakes. Uh, right, gentlemen. So we now move on to our uh, Week 13 Rapid Fire Preview. We start the Thursday night game, Seattle Seahawks at the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are going to win this one. They're going to win it big because I think Seattle is not going to play well. Um, I'm not going to say Bland's going to have a pick six, but I'm going to say the Cowboys mm-hmm. are going to win this one 27 to 14. Jake. I've got the Cowboys winning 24 to 20. Dave. Oh, I've also got the Cowboys winning. Surprise, surprise. But I'm going for a slightly larger score. I think it's going to be 38 points to 14. Arizona Cardinals at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm taking the upset. I think the Cardinals sneak it in overtime 13 to 10. You know better than that. Tomlin doesn't lose, baby. 27 21 Steelers. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm going for the Steelers. There's just no way I can back Cardinals after what I saw at the weekend. So it's going to be 24 points to 10 for Pittsburgh. There were the Falcons at the New York Jets. Um, I was really torn in this one because I was, I was initially Falcons and then I thought. Maybe the Jets will sneak out home. Then I flip back to the Falcons again. They're going to win this one 16-9. Well, I've got an absolute classic where the Falcons win six field goals to five field goals, 18-15. I mean, I I was on the exact same flight as yourself, uh, Neosa, because I was like, uh, Falcons going to win this. Well, actually, the Jets do have a chance. But then I gave myself a slap and realized who the Jets were and what I witnessed against the Dolphins. Uh, So, yeah, the Falcons are going to win this. I'm actually in the same ballpark as all of you. I've got the Falcons winning by 20 points to nine. Then after speaking of the Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins at the Washington Commanders. And I think the Dolphins are going to blow the doors clean off them. I've got them winning this one huge 
huge 38 to 13. I've actually got the commanders covering at the last chance I took. I believe that it's nine and a half. I've got the Dolphins winning 31 to 23. Yeah, I've got the Dolphins also in the 30s with 35. But I think Washington will get 30. I think it will be a very close game. We then have the Detroit Lions at the New Orleans Saints. Jake, I'm sorry, but I'm taking your Saints to win it. I think the Lions <laughs> are on a downward slide. You know, I curse <sighs> teams. I know you don't want me to pick the Saints, but I'm doing it 16 to 13. Oh, dear. well, you forgot that I'm actively rooting against the Saints. So um, oh, let's go Lions. 31-20 to Lions. Uh, I, I, I'm really torn in this one because I, I agree. I think the Lions are on a downward spiral, um, but I'm going to take them to win by a field goal. I think they're going to beat the Saints 23 points to 20. We then have one of the most intriguing matchups, and I never thought I would say that five weeks ago, the Denver Broncos at the Houston Texans. <laughs> and I'm taking my Broncos. You know I am. Um, it's going to be a high-scoring affair, but a very close one. We've got the Broncos winning at 31-30. to 30. Taking my Texans, but also in a high-scoring close game, 28-25. Love it. We're all in the same ballpark, but... I have faith in Sean Payton. I'm <gasps> picking the Broncos, and I'm go- I think they're going to win 27 points to 24. Wow, six in a row for the Broncos. Ridiculous. Well, then I have the Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. Colts are going to walk this one because the Titans have no offense. Um, Colts are going to win this one 17 to 6. I've got the Colts winning 24-17. Hmm. I have the Colts, but I'll, I'm going to make a bold prediction. I think this is going to be Mike Rabel's last game. I think he gets sacked after this game, after the Colts hammer them by 27 points to 6. Oof. Then have the Los Angeles Chargers at the New England Patriots. Patriots have no offense. Um, Chargers receivers can't catch balls. Low-scoring affair. Chargers win 19-6. to six. I don't know what I was smoking when I picked this, but I picked the Chargers to score 30 points somehow. Uh, 30 to 10. I guess the Patriots are that bad. Yeah, the Patriots are that bad. I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be 27 points to 12 for the Chargers. Then I have the Carolina Panthers at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm taking the Bucs at home. They're going to win this one by a score of 21 to 10. Uh, got it closer, uh, but I've got the Bucs also winning 24-19. Ooh, very, very similar scores. I, I've, I've got 24 points to 17 for the Bucks. I think they're just going to do enough. We then have our rematch of the NFC Championship game from last year. San Francisco 49ers are going to be playing in Philadelphia this time, and they're going to get their revenge. And they're going to get their revenge in a big way because I think the 49ers are going to absolutely cream the Eagles. I think the Eagles are just not going to be able to do anything and I've got the 49ers winning this one huge. 38 to 19. Does anybody have the Eagles as their random stat before I say this? I do not. No. Well, the Eagles are the second team in the last 20 years to be a home underdog with at least a 0.9 winning percentage in game 12 or later. 
um, and not starting a backup quarterback. The only other one was Pittsburgh against New England in 2005, and the Patriots won that one. Well, I've got the Eagles winning this one, 28-24. I've also got the Eagles winning, um, but I was going to mention the uh, that the 49ers are the favourites for this one. Uh, I, I, I have faith in the Eagles. Just barely. Uh, but I'm going to pick them to win by 34 points to 31. A repeat of the Bills score. Uh, nearly a repeat of the Bills scoreline, I should say. But the Eagles to win by three. We then have the Cleveland Browns at the Los Angeles Rams. Dave, I'm cursing your Rams. I'm taking them. Uh, oh. They're going to win this one. And they're going to score a lot of points. 29, just like the Broncos did. But the Browns get a bit more. 16. I will say that I picked the Browns before I realised Joe Flacco was the quarterback, but I, I'm committed now. I've put a highlighter on my piece of paper, so I can't take it back. Browns 20, Rams 17. Well, I've got that exact scoreline, but the other way about. So I have the Rams winning by 20 points to 17, and Joe Flacco is going to see the sky more than down the field. <laughs> got Kansas City Chiefs at the Green Bay Packers, and I've got the Chiefs winning this one fairly comfortably because I think our defence is legit uh, i've got him winning this one by a score of 27 to 13 uh, i've got 25 to 20 i kind of like the trajectory of the pack is going but not enough uh so the chiefs do win i thought me and jake had the exact same scoreline for a second but i've got the chiefs with 23 20 uh, and it's going to be a very close game and finally we have the cincinnati bengals at the jacksonville jaguars uh i don't like this bengals offense at all i think jaguars uh josh allen is going to have a field day against them so much so they're going to shut them out oh 24 to nothing to the jacksonville jaguars well i thought my 27 to 13 was harsh but oof and obviously we i am i'm going for the jaguars okay me and you almost have the exact same score, Neosa, but I've got seven points for the Bengals, but 24 for the Jags. And that wraps up our Week 13 Rapid Fire Preview. Gentlemen, we're moving straight on to our final, final segment, and it is, of course... Random Stats. Random, random Stats. stats. Random yeah. Stats, yes. Uh, who wants to go first this week for Random Stats? I'll go. Would you like me to go? I'll, I, 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 I don't have a long one. I don't have a long one. Go but uh, I just want to give a shout out to uh, one man who I think during his career played a little bit under the radar. I don't think it was quite appreciated. Um, so obviously this week we've had uh, discussions about potential ho- the, the next people into the Hall of Fame. Um, so this man was an undrafted rookie back in 2002. Now see if you can guess him before I actually start saying he broke the record for the longest play in a Super Bowl with a 100-yard interception from Kurt Warner. Oh, uh, James Harrison. It is indeed James Harrison. An, an undrafted rookie who was on the verge of leaving the league because he, was, he had two options, apparently. He was going to join his father in trucking uh, after he was cut for the fourth time uh, from a roster. Uh, around the time he was a rookie and he he was also interested in being a vet so in another way he did become a vet but a vet in the NFL and it also paid a lot more than a vet just um, but yeah in his career 811 tackles 84 and a half sacks 34 forced fumbles 9 fumble recoveries 8 picks 
five Pro Bowl selections, two-time first-team All-Pro, one Defensive Player of the Year, two-time Super Bowl champion, and like I said, he broke the record for the longest play in a Super Bowl with a 100-yard interception from Kurt Warner. And probably the most memorable part of that Super Bowl as well because he was on the ground for about three to four minutes because he could not catch his breath after running the length of the field. So, do, James Harrison. Do you know what else I remember about that play? Mm. Is uh, Larry Fitzgerald trying to catch him and mm-hmm. he gets knocked out of bounds, he gets knocked down, gets back up, runs, gets knocked out of bounds again, and then comes, and he still caught him, uh, albeit, you know, on the goal line, and he goes in for the end zone. That, that effort by Larry Fitzgerald, that game by Larry Fitzgerald, and that Super Bowl, he was incredible. Uh, but yeah, yeah. That's a good, I, like, I like that stat though, Dave. Very nice. Big, big shout out to James Harrison. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jake, do you want me to go next, or do you want to go next? Up to you, my friend. Uh, well, why didn't I go? I've got a very, very short one here. Uh, so, gentlemen, we're going to cast your minds back to the year of 2010. And in the year of 2010, two players returned three kickoffs for touchdowns. They were Jacoby Ford and Leon Washington. Jacoby Ford played for the Oakland at the time, Raiders. And the mm-hmm. Washington played for the Seattle Seahawks. They both had three uh, t- uh, kickoff return touchdowns that year. That's the last time that happened in the NFL. And in fact, oh. quite quite hilariously, between the years of 2016 and 2021, no player had more than one kickoff return touchdown in the league yeah we know how the league's trying to you know changing rules all the time to stop the kickoff returns because of injuries etc and we get that but yeah the last time a player had three uh, kickoff return touchdowns in the league 2010 so and that's my random stat very nice yeah jake okay uh so the texans faced a number one overall pick for the fifth straight week so in week eight they have played the Panthers and Bryce Young. In week nine, they played the Bucks and Baker Mayfield. Week 10, they played the Bengals and Joe Burrow. In week 11, they played the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. And this week, they played Trevor, uh, the Jaguars, so they had Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Walker. That's every number one overall pick from 2018 to 2023. And in week 16, they play the Browns. So they'll see the 2017 number one overall pick, Miles Garrett, if he's healthy. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. All those number That's one picks. Start. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that statue. Five in a row. Um, so it's just a shame they're not playing the Browns this week. But Or oh, well, actually, it would have been ideal if they played the Browns week seven. But, you know, can't have it all. Uh, no, you cannot. Um, so there we go, gentlemen. I think uh, it wraps up this week's edition of the WinFL show. Uh, don't forget, if you're listening at home, you can catch us on uh, Twitter. Ek, I keep calling it Twitter. X at the WinFL show. Ek, you can also find myself. X Twitter. X Twitter. Twix. Twix. Twi- there we back. go oh, wait that a minute. Works. let's not get copyrighted now <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you can also find myself you can find Jake, you can find Dave you can find Tim, you can find Andrew, you can find everybody on there as well um, it, now next week of course uh, no, 
But gentlemen, before we move on to next week, the playoff race is hotting up. Like seriously holding mm-hmm. up, particularly in the AFC. Everything is kicking off there. Um, so we've got plenty of uh, good football to look forward to. Um, next week, of course, we're going to have our week 12 review. And then, uh, no, we're not. No, why do I keep doing this? Is there something actually wrong with me? I think there is. Week 13 review and week 14 rapid fire. Are you sure it's not week 12? (laughs) It's not. It's definitely not. Every week I do this. I don't know why. Week 13 review, week 14 rapid fire preview. We'll, of course, have our Winnival Awards and we will, of course, have random stats. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure as always. Uh, Jake, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And Dave, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks to everyone listening at home, and we will catch you on next week's edition of The Winner Fell Show.